it's pretty icy and very slick. Like even in the areas that have been plowed really well, if you get above 40 miles an hour, you start sliding around. We rented a cabin for the week, this week, but we had to cancel it because we were worried we wouldn't be able to either get out of there later or get up their driveway. And so yeah, we actually stayed home this week instead of going on a trip. That's the perils of winter, but I mean, this is something else. This is wrong. This, look at us. Hey! <laughs> <laughs> this is going to be trouble. Sarah it's and about I, to be on. I've known each other forever. <laughs> I'm so happy to have you here. Poppy and Caitlin are off. Sarah Seidner is with us. Are you ready for this weather? No. Are you ready for That's the pink why I'm in here. corduroy suit? No, this is hot. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, it's, it's hot. So is that, but we won't get there. <laughs> we won't get in trouble. Millions of Americans coast to coast bracing for extremely low temperatures, dangerous wind chills, and power outages. It is really serious out there. We have reporters all across the country covering this storm. Plus the January 6th committee releasing its final report and placing the blame on one man. The new evidence just revealed overnight. And CNN's David Culver speaking with two migrants who were stuck at the border after making a dangerous journey. Their incredible story is straight ahead here on CNN this morning. But we're going to begin with more than 200 million Americans. That's right. I said it right. 200 million Americans spending the holiday weekend under wind chill alerts as a major Arctic blast plunges temperatures to dangerous levels all across the country, like in Cleveland where the wind chill is eight degrees and it is falling there. In Chicago, it is minus 32 with the wind chill. Can you imagine? Come on. I used to live there. Man, oh man. (laughs) And the storm causing extreme cold is expected to unleash more heavy snow and blizzard conditions in parts of the country. So look at that. You're looking at body cam video from a state trooper that's in Nebraska walking back to his vehicle after helping a stranded driver. Road conditions there, uh, his apartment says, have deteriorated. Strong winds causing poor visibility. Authorities urging people to stay off the roads. More than 250,000 customers across several states are without power right now. That number expected to rise. And the storm also creating travel chaos ahead of Christmas. This morning, more than 3,000 flights have been already canceled. They canceled the flight as everyone like, got boarded because the wings froze is what they said. We don't know what's going to happen, whether or not they have extra flights for tonight or they're saying maybe they won't even have flights tomorrow. So it's Christmas. It sucks. I saw that it was supposed to be changed and it was changed for 1030 tonight. And then about an hour or two ago, I looked again and it was changed again to 1115 tonight. Uh, it is not fun to spend your holiday in the airport. Let's go straight to CNN's Pete Montine, live at Chicago Airport. Uh, unless you're working like Pete Montine, then it is okay because you're not stranded there. But Pete, <laughs> what are you hearing from travelers who are desperately trying to get home to their families? You know, yesterday travelers told me they were just trying to get out ahead of the storm. Today, things, you'd put it perfectly done. They're going to get a lot more desperate as the storm moves to the east. Look at the numbers. The latest cancellation numbers from Flight where we just hit the 3,000 cancellation mark nationwide. That is way worse than what we saw yesterday. 5,400 delays so far yesterday. Yesterday we saw 2,600 cancellations nationwide. So way, way worse today than yesterday. Passengers are in for a really hard one. 
Topping the cancellations right now, New York LaGuardia, about a third of all flights have been canceled or delayed. Uh, at Seattle, that's in the number two spot. Detroit, which is a huge hub for Delta, 42% of all flights there have been canceled. Passengers are just scrambling to try and re-put together their plans. I talked to one woman last night here at O'Hare who had three flights canceled, ultimately left Midway nearby and took an Uber here. Listen to her now. It's really frustrating, but I'm, I'm just glad that I was able to get here. The Uber ride took me an hour and 45 minutes to get here from, Mid from Midway to O'Hare. And um, you just got to do what you got to do just, just, just to get home for the holidays. I got a behind-the-scenes look at United Airlines Operations Center where they're scrambling to try and keep these trips together and reroute passengers to other major connecting airports. O'Hare here is the biggest hub for United Airlines, so they're trying to get folks to other airports so their trips simply stay together. The big issue now, United says, is not necessarily the snow but the cold. That makes it especially hard for ground crews to work. Simply getting the airplane pushed back from the gate will be difficult in temperatures here in Chicago right now. It is negative eight degrees Fahrenheit. The high today, one degree Fahrenheit, Don. My gosh. Look at all the people behind you. It's 5 a.m. And that place is yeah. packed. 5 a.m. in Chicago, 6 o'clock here. Yeah. All right, Pete. Good luck Already. to you. We'll check back. Thank you very much. You know, the storm is hitting Cleveland, Ohio, really hard right now. Tara Braddock from CNN's affiliate WOIO just filed this report for us. Check it out. No tiara? Okay. Well, why don't we go to Paula Sandoval? What do you think? Sounds like a good idea because so, he's in Buffalo, New York, uh, where the wind chill is. Good morning. I'm Tiara Braddock from 19 News in Cleveland, Ohio. I want to give you an update on the conditions that we're seeing out here this morning. We are on 480, one of the main highways in the Cleveland area. As you can see, it is snow covered out here. People have been taking it slow as they should. What we are worried about right now at this time and throughout the day is the ice and the wind. With the wind comes a lot of snow blowing onto the highway, which will also make it very hard for you to see. And it's very, very cold and the temperatures will keep dropping throughout the day, making those roads slicker and harder for you to stop. So as we've been saying throughout the day and out the morning, please be careful out here. I'm going to send it back to you. All right. All right. Let's bring in CNN's Polo Sandoval live from Buffalo, New York, where the wind chill, 26 degrees, and a state of emergency is set to go into effect in the next hour. Polo, I'm sorry you're out there. What's it like? <laughs> this is actually a, a balmy 38 degrees right now. That forecast that you mentioned, that's what people here are getting ready for. And I'm glad we can uh, kind of show viewers their official before picture. That's because the core of the system, it's still about 80 miles west of where we are, not far from the waterfront here on Lake Erie in Buffalo, New York. But it is closing in. So the conditions here, the streets, quite drivable, a light drizzle. All of that going to change dramatically. That's because authorities here on the ground are stressing the wind factor here. It's just going to be a freezing and a flooding threat. And that's why there are some communities not far from where I'm standing this morning where people have even been asked to evacuate with lake levels expected to be some of the highest they've been in over 30 years. So that gives you a sense of that state of emergency that is just kicking in this very hour. So this is really the very first, not even the very first act. 
It's at 38 degrees here in Buffalo. We're going to end down in Sarah with about uh, 16, 18 degrees, and that's not even factoring the wind chill. The timing of all of this is critical here. This is going to be before Christmas Eve. Governor Kathy Hochul recognizing that this is typically when people are going to be traveling out, uh, at least by land. So the governor, Sarah and, uh, and Don, asking New Yorkers, especially here in western New York, to resist that urge and simply stay in place. Back to you. It's always hard and people always do it, but man, that is truly cold. Polo Sandoval, I don't feel so guilty now that I know it's 38 degrees. <laughs> Thanks a lot. <laughs> so Check Georgia's it. Governor Brian Kemp has declared a state of emergency as frigid temperatures descend on his state. The city of Atlanta opening up two warming centers ahead of the historic chill this weekend, helping those living on the streets. So let's head right over to meteorologist Allison Chinchar in Atlanta this morning. Allison, good morning to you. I mean, this is pretty cold for Atlanta. Uh, how low will the temperatures get? Right, so temperatures here are going to get down into the single digits. Then you have to factor in the wind on top of that. So that feels like temperature will get down into negative numbers. The thing is, this is cold for people in Atlanta. We're not used to this type of weather. And it's going to get even colder. The temperatures begin to drop today. They will bottom out tomorrow. This could end up being the coldest Christmas Eve on record for Atlanta. Certainly the coldest we've had in about 30 years. And just to kind of show you, this is a towel. It is rock solid, frozen because of how much the temperatures have dropped. But also we had rain overnight last night. So that's going to be a concern along the car, along the roads for cars, sidewalks, things like that, because anywhere there is standing water that will have frozen overnight tonight. So any travelers coming through the city are going to have to give themselves some extra time on the roadways so that they don't end up having any accidents with some of that black ice. Again, we talked about how cold it is here, but it's also cold elsewhere. Taking a look across the country again, you can see this map showing all the places where you have the wind chill alerts and it stretches pretty much across much of this much of the country again as we take a look through the rest of it um, you'll notice that, again, this is going to continue to spread off to the east, um, the cold temperatures we're talking about, but also the potential for snow. That is also going to be there, too. So that's going to be another concern, too, is that it's the combination of the cold air and then the snow that's coming down. Polo talked about the snow that's going to be coming across Buffalo, but it's not the only location. Wind is also going to be a factor. So any of that snow that comes down, it's going to be blowing across the roadways, things like that, reducing visibility even more. And then here's a look at where we anticipate a lot of that snow to come. So still, even places like New York, Washington, D.C., a lot of interior New England also looking at some areas of snow over the next 24 to 48 hours. So don't go outside unless you really have to. Thank you, Allison Chinchar. We'll check back in. Appreciate it. Sarah? Now to some other news. New this morning, the final January 6th report is out. I'm holding it up because it's massive. We're talking 845 pages. It's like a weight. And the conclusion, only one man is ultimately responsible for the January 6th attack. That person, former President Donald Trump. CNN's Paula Reed joins me now. There's a lot in this report. I know that lots of people have been going through and trying to get all of the details. Uh, can you give us some um, details on some of the new things that maybe we hadn't heard during the, uh, during the while the committee was still going? 
Well, Sarah, let's start with what was happening at the state level, because what's so important about this report is it goes well beyond what happened just on January 6th. And it looks at efforts by former President Trump and his associates leading up to the Capitol attack. So the report concludes that in an effort to overturn election results in key states, Trump and his inner circle engaged in at least 200 attempts to pressure state officials. And it concludes that Trump spearheaded outreach in states where he lost, but where there were GOP legislatures, including in Michigan, Pennsylvania, Georgia, and Arizona. And of course, we've reported on the January 2nd call between Trump and Georgia Secretary of State, where Trump went through a litany of false election claims and then asked the secretary to deliver him a second term by finding just enough votes to ensure a victory. Now, a Georgia special grand jury is looking into Trump's efforts to interfere in that state's election. So it's really significant because there could have criminal consequences for that aspect on a state level. So, Paula, the report sheds new light on communication between the White House and Trump attorney John Eastman. What more did you learn there? It's a great question, Sarah, because in addition to the states, you're also looking at these efforts to pressure his own vice president to overturn the overall results ahead of January 6th. And Eastman, John Eastman, is a key figure in all of this. He is the conservative attorney who authored a now infamous memo detailing step for step how then Vice President Mike Pence could overturn the 2020 election results. And the report reveals that Eastman actually reached out to speak to Trump on December 23rd. And that's the same day he drafted his initial memo on this, this Pence theory. And at the time, according to evidence uncovered by the committee, Eastman told a Trump assistant that he just wanted to update the president on our overall strategic thinking. And the committee wrote that Eastman received a call from the White House switchboard. That call lasted about 23 minutes. And Sarah, you may remember, Trump really latched on to Eastman's theory as he pressured Pence to block the certification of the electoral results. Now, in addition to the criminal referrals that the committee made earlier this week, the committee is also calling for lawyers involved in these efforts to overturn the election to be held accountable. Now, the report also zeroes in on Trump's failure to to act during the riot. We know there was a long time before he has said anything. What can you tell us about that? Yeah, they lay out how he watched the riot on television and made no calls for security assistance and resisted efforts by staffers asking him to call off his supporters. And White House staffers described to the committee just being appalled that as the Capitol was under attack, Trump fired off a tweet criticizing his own vice president. So what happens next? What kind of teeth does this committee have? What happens to uh, all of the recommendations that they made? So among the recommendations, the committee says that Trump should be barred from ever holding office again. Now, something else that they have also recommended, they're calling on Congress to pass an overhaul of the 1887 Electoral Count Act that's aimed at making it harder to overturn a certified presidential election. And that's how that actually could happen. The House and Senate have each passed their own version of that legislation. Now, going forward, the committee will continue to release transcripts of witness interviews that they've been conducting behind closed doors. But then all of this really lands in the hands of special counsel Jack Smith as he continues his investigation. But there's so much more in that massive report that you held up earlier. Everyone should go and read our full story on the web. There's so much more in our report. But, Sarah, as you know, it takes a village to cover a a historic report like this. So I want to give a shout out to our team, uh, Zachary Cohen and Jeremy Grayer, Jeremy Erb, 
Tierney Sneed, Devin Cole, Geneva Sands, Caitlin Polance, Hannah Rabinowitz, Marshall Cohen, Dan Berman, and of course our fearless leader, Adam Levine. They have been working for the past several days around the clock, waiting for this report, which didn't come in on time, to make sure that we had accurate reporting. And all of their great reporting over the past year and a half helped them pull out the highlights for us so we could share them with you this morning. I know those folks well, and I know they do a good job. But this is why it took that many people to go through this report. It's no joke. It's like a Tolstoy no novel. Thank you so much, Paula. <laughs> I read every single bit of it. Uh, you did? Because yeah. you stayed up all night and you read it? Yeah. Okay. Well, I'll ask you some of the details. I'll get you. I'll get you the, the cliff online. notes. I did not read, <laughs> read the highlights. You were Great hiding team. from this. Yes, I was. You were hiding from the blizzard conditions yeah. and sub-zero temperatures that are making clearing the roads a Herculean task. Look at that gentleman out there. We'll discuss with an Iowa snow administrator trying to keep drivers safe. Plus... How many people altogether are usually in here at night? Uh, altogether, 135 has been our greatest number. We don't have the capacity for the demand. Mm. And the crisis on the southern border, migrants packing into shelters on the border, waiting for the end of Title 42 and the opportunity to cross into the U.S. A CNN report on their long and dangerous journey. That's straight ahead this morning. It's not like a snow day, you know, when you're a kid. You know, this is serious stuff. Please take this storm extremely seriously. He is right. Welcome back to CNN This Morning. Strong warnings coming from the President of the United States and officials all across the nation as they once-in-a-generation storm delivers snow, wind, ice, and frigid temperatures this Christmas weekend. And my next guest knows the challenges of snow removal and sub-zero temperatures. He says, stay off the road and stay home. That is good advice. His name is Steve Johnson. There he is. He's the snow administrator for the city of Des Moines, Iowa, where it's now nine degrees below zero and the wind chill is 37 below zero this morning. Oh my gosh, Steve, good morning to you. I'm glad that you're inside. Good morning. I hope everybody's inside like you. Yeah. These are blizzard warnings. Uh, they're in effect for most of Iowa and the weather is going to make travel nearly impossible. Can you just, I'm sure you can't even underscore just how dangerous the roads are right now. Oh, it's crazy. I mean, and the challenges we have right now is normal. Normally during snow operations, you can put salt down and melt a lot of, and it'll clean off the road for you. But when it's this cold, you can't do that. Um, so basically we, we do the best we can to keep the snow off, keep the drifts, keep the drifts down and um, provide the safest opportunity for people to drive. But basically it'd be best if you stayed home right now. You know, there are a lot of people um, who do have to, to go to work. They are going to take to the roads. I know yeah. it happens every time. Is there anything that you can tell folks about going out into the roads and what they should be doing to try and be as safe as possible if they do have to go out there? Well, definitely, you know, in Iowa, we're used to driving conditions like this. But, um, <laughs> but at some times, you, you have to you know, go slow. Um, follow the rules and follow laws of the uh, rules of the, the road, but also just take your time. Um, if you if it only takes you 15 minutes, button and take you know allow for half an hour. Um, I, like even this morning, it took me took me a little longer to get in this morning than it normally does. But just budget more time. Um, stay back from the vehicles in front of you farther. Um, if you see a stop sign coming up, start start braking a little earlier. Most importantly, though, when you're out in weather like this, and I was telling my son last night, you know. 
you know, bring clothes with you, bring additional mm-hmm. stuff with you, bring the safety supplies with you, because you never know what's going to happen, and you're going to be on the, you may be on the road for a long, a lot longer than you, you wanted to be. Yeah. Well, listen, um, I think it's a perfect excuse. If I couldn't get your present. I'm serious. Because of the conditions, that is a legitimate excuse. I mean, look, the officials in Iowa, they were bracing for the, the conditions are their wind gusts of up to 50 miles an hour, their wind chills of yeah. up to 40 below freezing. Oh, um, yeah. Like, it just frostbite in that condition. Just say your car does stop, right? And, you, you know, you lose power or whatever. Yes. I mean, you can get frostbite within a matter of minutes. Oh, yes. Yeah, any exposed skin, it, you know, yeah, it can become a very, ser- very serious situation very quickly. Uh, people don't understand that, but it, you know when it's this cold, you, you, you any exposed skin won't take long before you do have a very serious situation, yeah. and then it's hard to recover from that. So, yeah, well, I tell my boys when they go outside and say, "Hey, hey guys, it's pants weather. When you get negative, you have to wear pants. Can't wear your shorts to the bus stop anymore." <laughs> right so, on. I don't know. Iowans are pretty tough, though. I have seen some scenes where I'm surprised. <laughs> yes, we are. <laughs> Forty below, though. That's uh, yeah. Mm, no, that's you don't crazy. mess with that. So, Steve Johnson. Steve is a snow administrator. For the city of Des Moines, yes, we appreciate it. Hey, Merry Christmas yes, to you. Be safe, you and your family. Thank you. Merry Christmas to you. Take Thank care. You. Almost every part of the country, by the way, is bracing for those below freezing temperatures, putting a lot of people at risk for things like hypothermia, obviously catching a cold, and other health problems. Joining us now with medical advice to stay safe and healthy is CNN senior medical correspondent Elizabeth Cohen. Good morning, Elizabeth. Good morning, Sarah. And this kind of extreme cold, you really do need to be careful. So let's talk about who is most vulnerable. So infants uh, and elderly, they are the most at risk. They have the hardest time keeping their temperature up when the temperature, when the temperatures outside are going, are getting cold. Also remember that cold can put stress on the heart. So people with heart conditions need to be especially careful with this kind of weather. Also extreme cold aggravates asthma and other lung diseases. Diseases. So even people where it's very much in control most of the time need to be thinking, where's my inhaler? Where are my emergency medications? What am I going to do if I get stuck in this cold? Sarah, Don? So here's the thing. I've often been told, you don't get a cold from being cold. You know, I didn't. I said, I got sick because I slept on the floor and the draft or whatever. But now there's a recent study, Elizabeth, that helps explain why being cold gives us cold. Because I was, I was always told... You know, for the entire 35 years that I've been on this earth, that <laughs> okay, that, that was a myth. You don't get colds from being cold. You so know what's your mom is that? watching, so yeah, be careful. My fingers are crossed. But that's <laughs> not true. Don, I will tell you that you're, you're right. No, you're right. And those myths are wrong. And there's a study recently that came out. It was really fascinating, fascinating what these researchers did. They looked at what happens to the cells inside your nose when the temperature goes down. The cells inside your nose, you can think of them as sort of like the first line of defense against germs. These are highly specialized cells that know what to do when germs arrive. And they don't, they don't perform very well when it's cold. When it's cold, they just don't do their jobs as well. And so it really is true that when it gets really cold outside, your body cannot handle things quite as well, and you are more vulnerable to getting colds and other kinds of upper respiratory diseases. All right. Happy holidays to you, Elizabeth Cohen. We'll see you soon. Thank you very much. A former Trump White House aide says that she felt pressured by Trump's allies to lie to the January 6th panel, why she considered risking contempt. Plus this. 
Santos is tattooed now to the Republicans in Congress. It's up to them to decide what to do about it. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi weighing on incoming Republican Congressman George Santos after numerous inconsistencies discovered on his resume. Now, he says, he plans to set the record straight. Welcome back to CNN This Morning. Coming up, millions of Americans bracing for extremely low temperatures and dangerous wind chills. We have reporters standing by with the very latest. Plus, a CNN report on migrants and their long and dangerous journey, what they endured coming up. And the one and only Gloria Estefan joins us ahead, what her and her family are up to this holiday season. The January 6th committee has released its final report it is 845 pages. This document is based on more than 1,000 interviews, emails, text messages, and year-and-a-half-long investigation. And this is what they found. They found that evidence has led to an overriding and straightforward conclusion. The central cause of January 6th was one man, and that is former President Donald Trump, whom many others followed. None of the events of January 6th would have happened without him. So let's bring in now former Trump White House Deputy Press Secretary Sarah Matthews. Sarah uh, by the way, I should say Sarah resigned on January 6th and testified before the January 6th committee. Sarah, good morning to you. Thank you for joining us. This is a, an extensive report, no doubt. The committee places the blame right at the feet of the former President Trump for this insurrection, and they conclude that he should be barred from office. Do you believe that this report is the next step in accountability for the former president? And do you agree that he should be barred from office? I do agree with that assessment. I think that the report shows that this was a very orchestrated effort by Trump and his co-conspirators to try to overturn the election and that on January 6th, it played out exactly how Donald Trump wanted it to. He sat by and um, watched as the riot unfolded and never once picked up the phone to try to call for help, even when his own VP was under attack. And so I do think that um, he shouldn't hold office ever again. And I hope that this report now, um, you know, that DOJ will have all of the evidence that the committee has collected, will um, go forth and uh, hopefully do something with it. So, Sarah, I'm sure you're surprised, uh, not surprised that you're in here. Right. So there is one part in your interview with the committee where you talk about your realization uh, that Trump was saying on January 6th that it was uh, indefensible. What do you say to people, some of your former colleagues or members of the GOP, who still don't see um, what he did was wrong? It is disappointing to see that, you know, some of my former colleagues don't have the same um, opinions on January 6th that I did. I mean, on January 6th, I knew that um, Trump's behavior was indefensible. And at that time, I didn't even have a full scope of the whole picture. And so now seeing everything that the committee has uncovered and truly seeing um, just how much Trump didn't care and didn't um, it wasn't even that he didn't want to act uh, or it was that he didn't even want to act. He didn't care about the riot unfolding and it was indefensible, his behavior that day. And I think even more so his behavior since then. He's never um, felt any remorse for his role in January 6th, and he continues to push his lies that the election was stolen. I want to read some other stuff, but just real quickly, did, was this the final straw for you or was there other, was, were there things that led up to this or did you at this moment have an epiphany and say, I can't do this any longer? Is that why you resigned? 
It was definitely a slow burn for me after the election. I knew on election night that we were going to lose. I think I saw when Georgia wasn't trending our way that um, it didn't spell a recipe for um, success. And so I knew then um, that we had lost. And okay. I think then the president um, you know, chose to pursue litigation and everything. And um, I had hoped that once that litigation failed, he would proceed with the peaceful transfer of power. But then when, um, you know, January 6th came about, obviously that did not happen. And so um, it definitely was a slow burn for me after the election. But on January 6th, his behavior was definitely the final straw. Okay, got it. So you told the committee that the former White House press secretary, Kaylee McEnany, felt uh, uncomfortable promoting the Dominion conspiracy theory and that the president had asked her to talk about that during the interviews. He did request her to do briefings on it as well. Did, uh, but we did not. Why did she feel so uncomfortable talking about Dominion voting conspiracies? Um, I think she knew, as I knew, that there was no evidence to prove um, those conspiracy theories. And so that was something that, you know, she wasn't willing to um, speak about in interviews and um, obviously would not do it from the White House podium, too. And so that was something then that we tried to um, actively avoid the president in those days after the election because he was putting that pressure on her to try to go out there and speak about this. OK, uh, a couple of other things quickly. Did you ever hear anyone tell uh, the president that his theories about Dominion were wrong? I was never in the room for that, okay. but I did know that that was something that the lawyers were communicating to him on the campaign side. OK, the committee has put forward evidence that Trump knew that he lost the election. Your former colleague, Cassidy Hutchinson, uh, told them that Mark Meadows said to her, and I quote here, a lot of times he'll tell me that he lost, but he wants to keep fighting it. And he thinks that there might be enough to overturn the election. Do you think Meadows should Meadows have pushed back more on the president? I do think so. I think Meadows knows better. And I think that he was one of Trump's biggest enablers in the White House. And, um, you know, it's disappointing given he was in the room and he chose to just, um, you know, allow Trump to pursue these um, crazy conspiracy theories rather than swatting them down. And that's why I think you saw Trump turn to the people that were um, feeding him these conspiracy theories, because the folks that were telling him that these weren't true, um, he stopped listening to toward the end of his administration. Okay, just real quickly, um, this the person that the committee identified here, this Trump attorney, um, this known pro-Trump attorney named Kenneth um, Chesbro, right, as being the original architect of the fake elector spot. Did you hear anything about that? I did not. Okay. Yeah, that was not a name that I was familiar with. Okay, uh, let me make sure that that's all I want to ask you. Um, and then there's Jack Smith, who is a special counsel. Have you offered testimony uh, to in that investigation? Or have you heard from the investigators? No, I have not. Um, they have not reached out to me. All right. Sarah Matthews, thank you very much. I appreciate you coming on. Yeah, thank you so much. And Merry Christmas to you. Thank you. Desperate migrants braving dangerously cold temperatures for the chance to cross into the U.S. where they're turning for shelter. Where are they turning for shelter next? And coming up, the iconic Gloria Estefan. Oh, that's my jam. Releasing a new Christmas album with her family. They'll tell us how it all started ahead. You know, Sarah and I want to start dancing. I mean, I'm ready. We have to be serious anchor people, okay? <laughs> Did we, though? <laughs>
a lovely, iconic picture this morning. You're arch. looking live at St. Louis. Uh, the arch is beautiful. It looks beautiful. But guess what? It does not feel good because the wind chill right now is 29 degrees below zero. We'll have updates from across the country throughout the morning. Texas authorities at the border are now asking asylum seekers to shelter indoors or go home as the Arctic chill hits. For those waiting in line, this is the final step in their long and often dangerous journeys, even as the Trump-era Title 42 restrictions remain in limbo. Sinan's David Culver spoke to Venezuelan migrants who are stuck at the southern border. Take a look at this. There are those who cross illegally, streams of people, every day, every hour. And then there are those who watch, wait, and face the unknown. Here in Ciudad Juarez, this is what the U.S. looks like for Ulexi Fernandez and Lucy Bastidas. We're not criminals. We're good people, they stress. The two met while serving in the Venezuelan military. In October, they started their trek north, fleeing political turmoil, hiking through jungles, rafting murky waters, riding a train from on top. So close to their final destination until policy and this halt their journey. Before sunrise Tuesday, we watch as Texas law enforcement mobilize, sealing off this popular access point to American soil, one of the state's efforts to stop the flow of migrants. But it only reroutes them a short distance downriver, creating a new bottleneck for illegal crossings and a tense standoff. The setting sun ushers in freezing temperatures. By nightfall, migrants settle in on the U.S. side of the river, building campfires to keep warm. Hours later, some rush another border entry point about a mile away. Under Title 42, they can still be immediately expelled on the grounds of COVID prevention. Lucy and Ulexi determined to enter legally. She wants to do it the right way, she tells me, and knows exactly where she wants to go. Far from their Big Apple dreams, unable to return home, stuck in international purgatory. I'm here with my partner, she says. Discriminated against, they say, because they're migrants, they're women, and they're a couple. To be safe, they avoid public displays of affection and traveling groups. Another reason they want to get to the other side? When we're there, we're going to help all of our family, she says. The very mention of family triggers emotions Lucy's carried since leaving Venezuela. Lucy, missing her mom and siblings. Ulexi, her 10-year-old daughter. We hurry across traffic, about a half mile from where we first met the couple, and arrive at this local shelter. With nowhere else to go, families line up, hoping to escape the freezing cold. Lucy and Ulexi among the fortunate. This is home, at least for now. We meet some of their new friends, fellow migrants from all backgrounds. And how many people altogether are usually in here at night? Uh, altogether, 135 has been our greatest number. We don't have the capacity for the demand. The church group that runs this shelter, bolstered by locals donating their time and food, and much like border cities in the U.S., 
Ciudad Juarez is feeling the strain from this migration surge. The city has always been very generous to migrants, but in this case, with so many people, it's difficult. The city isn't prepared for this influx, he says. Back in the shelter, Yulexi struggles with having left her daughter behind, telling me, I don't know when I can give her my love again, because right now, I'm just trying to provide for her. Lucy saying, the hardest part in this moment right now is being so close and not being able to cross. But echoing from their phone, a familiar song that chronicles a migrant's journey brings back smiles and hope. We're going to make it. We're going to make it, she says. And it's precisely because of Title 42 that you, Lexi and Lucy, want to avoid doing what the migrants you see behind me are doing. Thousands of them turning themselves in to U.S. Customs Border Patrol so as to seek asylum officially. But the problem that they would face under Title 42 is that as soon as they enter, they risk being deported to places much farther and much more dangerous. David Culver, CNN, Ciudad Juarez, Mexico. You really see the humanness. David's really good at just bringing out sort of the human story behind this. But there is one thing that Democrats and Republicans can agree on when it comes to immigration. Our system is broken. Yeah. And it galls me that we can't figure it out. And that they need to make it better. Yeah. Because after, we have to remember that the, at the end of the day, they are human beings. As yeah. you said, they are people. And for whatever circumstances they're wanting to come to the United States, we need to figure out how to make the whole process better. Better. Agreed. We'll, we'll be, be right, right back. back. I mean, even the pictures, like, give you cold vibes. Look at that. You're looking live now at Kansas City, Missouri, where it feels like a negative 31 degree. Continue to monitor the severe winter weather all around the nation. And, of course, it is impacting holiday travel. And new on CNN this morning, superstar singer and songwriter Gloria Estefan joined us to talk about the holidays, her music, and hitting the record studio with her family. Her husband, her daughter, and her 10-year-old grandson also joined us in the studio to talk about their favorite holiday memories and her first Christmas album since 1993. That album is called Estefan Family Christmas. May we always be together as we are tonight Joining forces, joining hands Our That's so great. Look, I need notes here to reel off all the accomplishments of this next (laughs) woman and family. After selling millions of records, winning eight Grammy Awards, performing around the world, Latin pop star, American pop star, worldwide pop star, Gloria Estefan is now bringing her family together to spread, you know, a bit of holiday cheer this season to everyone. We're so happy that you're here. Gloria's here, joined by her husband and her business partner uh, and Partner of many years, yes. Emilio. Oh, yeah, baby. Uh, Emily is here. My other baby. Sauce is here. The newest baby. The great- <laughs> collecting baby. Yes. So Emily is a daughter. Sasha is a, is a grandson. grandson. And we're so happy that you could all be here. Thank you. So I said, look, I know this is a throwback, but you guys are like the, the Latin Osmonds, right? Yeah. The- I'm a big fan. I had their posters when I was a kid all over my walls. This is amazing that you guys did an album together. Why, Gloria? 
Well, because when he started singing as a little baby, we would always put together a little show for Thanksgiving, which I traditionally host. Mm -hmm. And in 19, um, we decided to do something original. And then he was telling me that he felt his voice was changing. Like, oh, my gosh, we need to put this moment in, capture it, right. and capture it for posterity. And I asked him, hey, what, what if we put together an album, kind of like our shows, pick our favorite Christmas songs and do it? And they they were all about it. And the first time ever that Emilio sings. That's a miracle. Are you serious? Really? He does it for his grandson and first and last. Yeah. <laughs> wait, 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 let's hear the voice. Wait, is it changing? What, give me, give us Not a... Not yet. <laughs> that's, that's how I talked to her. I was like, mother. My voice. It hasn't changed yet. But it will very soon because he shot up so fast this year. I go, oh my gosh, it's going to... But we love the holidays and yeah. I secretly had a plan to have them with me for the entire amount of time that it took to do the album. Anyway. What was it like? Fantastic. I mean, Mama, you know, let's hear from them because for me, <laughs> the studio is my happy place. First, yeah, you we tell met us what it's and like. we called our lawyers, right? Yeah. <laughs> I said, I have to sign a contract first yeah. and then I'll talk to you about it. Show business, baby. Nutella for life. Yeah. Show business. It was amazing. It was once in a lifetime and there are so few families I feel that love the same thing and can do it together and not kill one another. Yeah. <laughs> and it's something that won't happen again. You know, he's only going to be 10 once and life passes you by so quickly. So whenever we listen to it, it's going to remind me of, of that time. And it's all live musicians and we were all together the whole time and has a lot of love baked into it. Absolutely. Do you hear that thing that in families, the voices? Tambor. Oh, that's yeah. 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 You can't tell. I would really? know who I was speaking to. Yeah. But it's so funny you said that about the family getting together. Some families have trouble just sitting down at a table together. Yeah. And to produce this, it's three generations for the first time, right? Absolutely. All together on this album. Yes, indeed. I think in COVID that people realize family is so important. They realize they say it's great to send a message of hope and, you know, unity and I think in this album, you feel that, the energy about family yeah. and the traditions and, you know, and they wrote a lot of new music and they, they got me to sing. Yes. <laughs> you, I mean, you guys talk about these issues at your sort of Red Table talk series. You were, I have to, like, I just sent mom a picture of me with you because oh, you were the soundtrack of my not just childhood, teenage years, you were all through our house. I like love that. You are the epitome of time. Thank you, mama, for doing of, that. It's true. <laughs> Thank you very much. Of time, timeless, right? And yeah, and you've continued that and then also have these discussions about really important things that a lot of families struggle with talking about. Especially you, Latin families. There you go. How do you do it? Um, we did it for that reason because, you know, uh, people would say, why would you, you know, talk about these things? I go, because it's important that we do it. And people think that celebrities have a charmed life, which I'm not complaining. We have a beautiful life, thanks to all of you that have listened to our music for so long. But uh, we're families like anyone else that goes through things. And we thought if we can somehow start the conversation, maybe they'll continue it in their own homes. And we have lots of letters and messages from people that that's exactly what happened. So it was important. Listen, I know you don't like to talk about yourselves, but I know that you give back. And I've actually been down to your kitchen. You gave back people. with us? Yeah. Yeah, and you, over the holiday season, you do it all the time, and you do it beautifully. You give back. There's so much going on, especially during the pandemic, what, you know, transpired after that with people being, not having, being homeless and not having food to eat. Absolutely. Hunger. It's a privilege to be able to be of service and of help to other people, and you were there serving up yeah. food for 14 years. We threw a big party. We always had six to seven organizations that need it, and 
We wanted to make them happy. Since COVID, we couldn't do it. This year, we're here in New York, but we take care of those organizations. Right at Thanksgiving, we call them, okay, we send money, we send whatever they ask us that they need the most important thing, which right now really is pretty much money because a lot of uh, donations have dried up because people are in need. What's it like to grow up in a family like this and be the next generation to carry it forward? Well, it's great because you get the opportunity that some people probably don't get. And it's great to just spend time with them. And now we're doing it like professionally (laughs) and we always do spend time with them. But now that we're doing it like this, we get to travel the world together and have fun together. You're such a mom. It's such a great. And the two of you, <laughs> like, I would want my little Luca to get in there. I'm not sure his answer would be as eloquent as yours. He can lead the only one you wrote. Yes, he wrote. Oh yes. We have, a, we have an original tune that the three of yeah. us wrote. So why don't we sing the chorus? Which yeah. is it? Let's pick a key. You want it? I'm thankful for you. Okay. I'm thankful for you. Of all the things in life that I really love, I'm thankful for you. We're thankful for you. Thank you, thank you so much. Happy holidays. Thank you for what you're doing. Thank Great you luck with the album. Thank, thank you. you. Congratulations. Everybody, thank go you buy guys. the album. Go buy it. Yeah, or stream it. It's stream on everyone's it, yes. platforms. Thank you. Okay, that's how old it is. Buy the album. Hey, buy the album. We have an album. It's, yeah. You can buy the album. <laughs> I'm so jealous. They are royalty in Miami where I grew up. Same thing as Poppy. I listen to her music now and I listened to it when I was young. Rhythm is gonna get you. I love everything about her. Okay, are we are we doing are we doing the snake? Is that what we're doing? Should we do it? I don't I don't you want Sarah, to be- <laughs> Want to go? <laughs> so we, you and I will cut up, so we have to watch ourselves. Cause, Do we though? Yeah. You know what? I probably need you for this. By the way, Merry Christmas, Stephans. Thank you very much. This is what I need you to cut up for this because we're counting down the days until we ring in the new year. <laughs> Anderson and Andy are back for another global celebration. Make sure you join them on New Year's Eve live from Times Square at 8 p.m. And this is where I'm going to need you, because after that, at midnight, it's going to be me, and I'll ring in from New Orleans, and I'm going to go till 2 a.m., and so no Sarah. I'll be watching. Come hang on. All right. I'll be Maybe laughing. I'll call you. Maybe I'll zoom in with you. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be right back. <laughs> can't rent a car to go back to Bozeman. There's no flights back to Bozeman. No other flights to Nashville until I think like Christmas Eve or Christmas or like the 26th. So, stress. Oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. That's the situation at the airport, but then out on the roads, you got people at home, there's no electricity. Good morning. You know, everyone, it is Friday, December 23rd. Poppy and Caitlin are off. Sarah Seidner is with me. So good to have you. I'm so happy to be here and not out there because yeah. usually I'm out there and you're in here yeah. so now we get to share a little time together yeah, but we got to tell all these stories is dangerous yeah. and it's getting worse by the minute we're covering the massive blizzard wreaking havoc ahead of the holidays nationwide plus living in limbo migrants braving freezing temperatures for a chance to reach the United States a CNN report from the border and one man is responsible the January 6th committee's final report declares 
Former President Donald Trump caused the Capitol insurrection. What the panel recommends now. But we have to begin with this. More than 200 million Americans spending the holiday weekend under wind chill alerts as a major Arctic blast plunges temperatures to dangerous levels all across this country. The storm causing this extreme cold is expected to unleash more heavy snow and blizzard conditions on parts of the country. Strong winds causing poor visibility. Authorities urging people to stay off the roads. More than 650,000 customers across several states are without power right now. That number is expected to rise. And the storm also creating travel chaos ahead of Christmas. This morning, more than 3,000 flights have already been canceled. Let's begin with CNN's Polo Sandoval, live in Buffalo, New York for us. Polo, good morning to you. Conditions, I would imagine, are worsening. They're still pretty warm, but the temperatures are going to plunge. Yeah. It's warm, but the rain's finally coming down here, Don. And I can tell you in a few hours, we're going to wish that all we had to worry about is just this wet, soggy mess. That's because the temperatures will plummet. A balmy 38 degrees right now, but we're going to end the day at closer to 18 degrees. And that's not even factor in the wind, wind chill. So the big concern here in western New York is the flooding with the, uh, near the lake and the freezing as well. These roadways, as you can see, completely drivable right now. But what authorities are doing in just the last hour since we spoke to you, uh, they actually are in the process of uh, closing down some of the major interstates around Buffalo, uh, basically recommending that only essential travel be done. There is no driving ban in place just yet, like what we saw during the snowstorm here last month, when we got about uh, six and a half feet of snow just south of here. But with a big point that officials are stressing here in Western Buffalo too, Don, is uh, the snow it won't be the big issue as it will pale in compared a comparison to what we experienced last last uh, last month. It's going to be the flooding and also those freezing conditions, and that's why. New York Governor Kathy Hochul recommending that New Yorkers resist the urge to travel out today and especially tomorrow with the blizzard whiteout conditions and that coastal flooding. In fact, some of the communities just a few miles from where I'm standing right now uh, are under evacuation orders. Yeah, best advice. Let us stand outside of reporters to tell you what's going on. You stay inside and watch. Polo, thank you very much. Appreciate it. Be safe. This polar plunge creating some big travel headaches as millions of Americans head home for the holidays. This morning, thousands of flights have already been canceled. Let's go to CNN's Pete Muntean, who is live at Chicago O'Hare Airport, which is always busy, but even more so now. What are you hearing from people? Um, I'm sure there's some complaining going on there, and rightly so. No doubt, Sarah. You know, folks were simply just trying to get out ahead of the storm yesterday. Today, things will be a bit more desperate as it's going to be more of a challenge simply to find a seat on board a plane. We'll get to that in a second. Look at the latest numbers from FlightAware. 3,100 flight cancellations so far today. We've seen that go up by 100 cancellations in just the last hour. Way worse than what we saw yesterday. Nationwide, 2,600 flight cancellations in the U.S. Yesterday, the cancellations were really localized to airports in the West and the Midwest. Now this is going to be even worse as this storm tracks east. Look at the numbers of cancellations at airports across the country. LaGuardia is rising. Uh, Denver is rising. SeaTac, Chicago, of course, where we are. But also we're seeing places like D.C. and Boston rising on the list. 42% of all flights have been canceled at Detroit, that is a big hub for Delta 
airlines. The FAA says now the ground game begins. That's really what will determine the delays and cancellations as airports rush to de-ice planes. For passengers, though, it's more of a game of finding a needle in the haystack. Airline experts say that as passenger levels have gone up, now that we're rounding this other side of the pandemic, the number of seats are still down. I want you to listen to travel expert Scott Kyes of Scott's Cheap Flights. We hear about how travel volume is still down 5 or 10%, but what many folks might not have realized is that the number of flights in the sky is actually down more like 15 or 20%. So the planes that are actually flying are more full today than they were pre-pandemic. Airlines say the big challenge for them is not necessarily the snow. They're especially used to that here in Chicago, but it's really the cold that makes it really hard for ground crews to work, load bags, push planes back from the gate and marshal them into the gate. The high temperature forecasted here today in Chicago, one degree Fahrenheit, and that is not factoring in the wind chill, Sarah. People are tough there in Chicago. I know this one sitting next to me uh, has spent lots <laughs> of time there, but that is brutal. It is dangerous. Be safe out there. Thank you, Pete Montine. It certainly is. Uh, Georgia uh, as well. And Georgia does, is not used to these temperatures. The governor there, Brian Kemp, declaring a state of emergency as frigid temperatures descend on his state. The city of Atlanta opening up two warming centers ahead of the historic chill this weekend, helping those who are living out on the streets. Straight now to meteorologist Allison Chinchar in Atlanta for us. Wow, look how breezy it is as well. Uh, Allison, morning to you. It's, it's very cold for the south. How low is it now? How low is it going to get? Yeah, so right now it's 18 degrees and it's actually flurrying here in Atlanta. Not a common sight for folks who live here, but it's actually going to get even colder over the next 24 hours. In fact, this could end up being one of the coldest Christmas Eves on record here in Atlanta. Just to kind of show you how cold this is a towel frozen, rock solid. And that's because the temperatures here dropped so quickly overnight, which also means if there was any leftover rain on the roads this morning, maybe some puddles, those will completely freeze over, making for dangerous conditions on the roadways as well. But look, we're not the only ones that are cold outside right now. You have wind chill alerts across much of the country right now. So yes, it includes portions of Georgia. It includes portions of the eastern U.S. as well as areas of the Midwest. But again, we are also talking about the winds, and that's going to be the key issue here. You've got winds across the southeast, 40 to 50 mile per hour gusts, even higher off to the north. So if you have some holiday decorations out, you may want to strap them down and secure them, unlike my sister, who is now having to retrieve her inflatable Santa from the neighbor's yard after the wind picked up. So again, also the snow, too. Keep in mind that wind, any snow that falls is going to blow that snow around, reducing visibility in some areas to less than a quarter of a mile. And that's just going to add to any of the travel problems across much of the Northeast and Mid-Atlantic. Overall, most of these areas likely to pick up an additional four to six inches of snow. Some areas, however, could pick up as much as a foot. Uh, Allison, tell your sister I can totally relate. That has <laughs> happened. I've had to retrieve it from a tree. Yeah, it happens. Uh, but uh, listen, be safe out there. Thank you very much. All right. A message to migrants, do not risk your life and that of your loved ones trying to cross the river or the desert. That is from U.S. border officials warning migrants of the dangerously cold temperatures 
on the southern border now. Let's go now to El Paso, Texas, where CNN's Camila Bernal is standing by for us. Um, I know the temperatures are dropping quickly. It is unusually cold there. How is this impacting uh, the migrant surge on the ground? I do see behind you many, many people just lying on the frigid you know, ground um, trying, to, to, trying to, to figure out what they're gonna do next. It really is difficult, Sarah and Don. Good morning. A lot of the people here are just not used to these temperatures. And these are the critical hours. It's 21 degrees now. It's going to be in the 20s all the way through about 11 a.m. local time when the sun comes out. But as you mentioned, there are many of them that just have to sleep out on the street. There's just piles of people. They're trying to sleep next to each other. You see the Red Cross blankets. Um, This is the only option for the people that are here. Some of them have been able to get on a bus and that way they can warm up for a little bit. But there are many that are also really afraid to get on the bus because they don't know what could happen to them next. So again, just piles and piles of people trying to warm up together because this is their only option. And if you talk to them, they will tell you that they're doing this for their future, that they're doing this for their children, and that this is not the first hardship that they're going through. They've already spent months trying to get to this country and all they want is to be here, even if it's freezing, Sarah. I want to ask you, uh, we know that the migrants, in order to be admitted to shelters, have to show U.S. immigration documents, but there are a lot of people that don't have those documents. They don't have the papers. Do you know if they will be allowed into shelters there in El Paso without documents? So they will not be allowed in the government-run shelters. So anything that the city of El Paso has organized, meaning the convention center, there are some hotels and some schools, they will require the proper documentation that you get from Border Patrol. The only other option is a nonprofit shelter. And the problem is the nonprofit shelters, they are over capacity. The one that I'm at now, Sacred Heart Church, they're saying, look, we have capacity for about 100 30 people, but we're fitting about 200 people. So the people that don't fit into these shelters, they're the ones that are here on the streets. But again, they're willing to do it to remain in this country, Sarah. You know, just yesterday I spoke with a councilwoman there who said she's never seen it uh, this many people uh, and dealing with this many problems, and she is begging for federal help. Camilla Bernal, thank you so much. So let's bring in now reporter Tara Braddock from our affiliate WIO in Cleveland, Ohio, where the wind chill is a reported 12 degrees below zero. Good morning, Tara. I know that we have a bit of a delay here, so we want to be mindful of that. I'm so glad that you could join us, and I see that you're out on the road right now. How are the conditions? Yeah, good morning, Don. Conditions are very dangerous out here. I want to flip it around so you can see exactly what I'm talking about. We are on 480 East, which is a main artery here in our area. We are just about 30 minutes from downtown Cleveland. Visibility isn't that great right now. As you can see, I can barely see the car in front of us and the wind. That's been our biggest issue so far. It is blowing all that snow onto the highway, making it very hard to see, not to mention the snow packed on the ground, making it very difficult to get through. So if you are out here on the roads here in the Ohio area, keep that in mind. As you can see, if you can see, the car in front of us has its flashers on because they're trying to take it slow. This isn't the only car that we have seen out here 
with their flashers on it. And right now the above temperature is six degrees and we are really worried about the pavement freezing over and making that black ice, which obviously I don't have to tell too many people how dangerous that is. And I know a lot of us Ohioans are saying, well, I can drive in snow. These conditions aren't really that drivable. As you can see, it's very hard to even get through. We are going around 40 miles per hour and taking it slower as we get onto the highway. It is just very dangerous out here. This is what we're dealing with right now. A tiara, I mean, even 40 miles an hour, Sarah and I were both looking saying, oh, slow down and giving us a little anxiety. So maybe it looks faster than it feels out uh, on the road. But, you know, I can see the traffic coming from the other side of the interstate. I'm sure a lot of these people may be driving through Ohio. It could be workers or truck drivers or whatever. But does it look like people are actually heeding the warnings? Is just one car in front of you? And I hope that they are, Tiara. Well, you know what, as with most people, some people are taking it slow, some are taking it fast. Gonna flip that camera around for you in just one second. You get some people who are taking it a little faster and you get some people who are taking it slower, but that's also because of people's comfortability driving in these conditions. I will say I would be a little taking it slow because I can't really see too far ahead because of the wind chill and the wind blowing. And also you wanna keep this in mind if you are going through darker parts of the highway with less light that will make it even more dangerous and we hit some traffic earlier this morning and as you can see the oncoming traffic um, in the other lane you can see a lot more people there a little less in our area right here but when you get a lot more people too on that area in the in the highway you want to take it slow too because you do not want to pile up that's the last thing we want out here Tara Braddock from our affiliate WOIO in Cleveland Ohio Thank you so much. We appreciate it. Be safe out there. We may check back with you in, throughout the hours here on CNN. So, I mean, it's, wow. Uh, listen, She's I was doing like, a great be careful, job. girl. Yeah, yes, and technology. Yeah. I mean, since you and I Amazing. have been doing this, can you imagine the technology yeah. in order to have to do that years ago? You'd have to have the giant camera and whatever, and she's just flipping <laughs> her phone around. But, so it's a great report. Why are you aging us? But anyway. Well, no, but I mean, it's, it's, it's true. it shows you. It's changed. Yeah, it shows you what's happening out there. Most of Michigan is under a blizzard warning as a historic bomb cyclone plows across the region. The biggest threats the state is facing. That's next. Plus new evidence in the House January 6th committee's final report points the finger at former President Donald Trump for the deadly Capitol insurrection. More of the major takeaways from a huge report coming up next. You would think that the eve Taking a look at the roadways, you can tell people are heeding the warning that this is going to be a frigid and dangerous time because of this crazy storm that is basically going across the entire United States. Okay, the upper Midwest and the Great Lakes region are feeling the brunt of this storm as we speak. And joining us now from Detroit, which is under a winter weather advisory, is Todd Bettison. He's the deputy mayor of Detroit. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. I appreciate you. I'm glad to Good see morning. you. In, you doing, I'm Steve? doing great. I'm glad to see that you are inside. I have felt the Detroit winter, and it doesn't like me, and I don't like it. Can you tell me what things are like right now in Detroit? That's 13 degrees. The roads are, are, are clear. We're always in a constant state of preparedness here. And, you know, we're used to a lot of snow. And so um, we were ready. We don't have a lot at this point. So our roads are clear. 
I got 50 salt trucks out there. They're salting the roads. And so, but we're definitely prepared. And so, but it's cold. We understand the wind chills and just want all of our Detroiters to know and, and, and just be prepared, right? And so take those proper precautions. Um, can you give me a sense of what the biggest threats are um, for people? Because I see people in the roads. There's a lot of snow. And like you said, you know, people in Detroit are used to this, this kind of weather, but this is a little bit different. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what I really, really want to stress because of the anticipated wind gusts, the high winds, which definitely creates the issue as far as power can knock down power lines. And, and of course, that can cause an issue as well. And then with these frigid temperatures out there and no power, then your furnace is not going to work. And so therefore, you know, if, if a, a senior apartment building or your home loses power, you know, you're not going to be able to stay there. So you're going to have to go to a warming shelter. And so in the city of Detroit, you know, we're going to make sure that we have we, we have two warming shelters that are open. Um, our public libraries will be open as well. We partnered with the Detroit Red Cross, um, the Detroit Rescue Mission, our um, outreach ministries. And so that we'll be able to take in as many folks as necessary. And also we look at our most vulnerable population, our unsheltered or our homeless. And so we were already in preparation for this and we're working even weeks in advance to get them off the streets and get them into shelters early. You have the trucks, you have the salt, you have the shelters. I do want to ask you about power outages that you just mentioned. Do you put more people on staff to deal with those uh, after the storm passes, or how are you going to deal with that uh, with a lot of people possibly without power and in a dangerous scenario when the temperatures drop the way they are? So we're definitely prepared, and with the public-private partnership between the city of Detroit government, Wayne County, and also um, DTE, which is our energy consumption, they've already brought in extra crews, and so they're prepared. We're working in coordination, and the emergency management homeland security falls directly up under my preview. My previous background is 27 years in law enforcement, and so I have a director of homeland security. So we are coordinating and we'll be right there on the spot. If a, if a residence loses power, um, a, a, you know, apartment building, we already have reached out. We have those um, um, senior complexes in those large apartment buildings. We have their emergency plans here at the city. And so we'll respond ASAP. We have transportation set up through our um, um, DDOT, which is our busing system, where we can actually move large amounts of people mm. to warming shelters. Can I just lastly ask you, the state of emergency, a lot of other places are putting that in place. Do you see that happening for uh, Detroit? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, we're monitoring it right now. So we're at level one, but all of our folks are on standby. And so as um, if we get more snow, you know, it will, will of course, take that in, which we're not really anticipating, but we're prepared but with the wind gusts, we're monitoring it. And I do have staff working and I'm getting updates every hour. I love when I come to Detroit and people are wearing the shirts that say Detroit versus everybody. It's Detroit versus the weather. Deputy Mayor Todd Bettison, thank you so much for joining us. <laughs> All right. Thank you. More than 650,000 power customers are waking up in the dark this morning. And that is a huge problem, dangerous problem. We'll speak to an expert about how grids nationwide are really being pushed to their limit. Plus, what happens when you send a sports reporter to cover weather? He ends up becoming me. (laughs) The good news is that I can still feel my face right now. The bad news is I kind of wish I couldn't. Can I go back to my regular job? 
<laughs> He's saying what we all want to say, <laughs> to be <amazing>. honest. <laughs> Welcome back to CNN This Morning. Coming up, the January 6th committee has released its final report. We'll break down what's inside with Maggie Haberman in just a bit. Plus, thousands across the country are in the dark this hour as severe weather is moving through, how the storm system is stressing power grids. And Santa is for everyone. A look at the growing demand for wider representation. The House January 6th committee has released its final report, placing the blame squarely on the shoulders of the former president, Donald Trump, calling him the one man who caused the January 6th Capitol riots and recommends barring him from holding office again. This is an expansive report. It is huge. It is 845 pages, and it summarizes a year and a half long investigation by the committee, which conducted over a thousand interviews. In a newly released transcript for the former Trump White House aide, Cassidy Hutchinson, tells the committee that she felt pressure from Trump allies not to talk and instead risk contempt charges. She testified that before her interview with the committee, she told her mom, I am completely indebted to these people. They will ruin my life if I do anything they don't want me to do. Cassidy also testified that in her initial depositions before the committee, when she had a Trump-aligned lawyer, Stefan Passantino, beside her, she said this, and I quote, It wasn't just that I had Stefan sitting next to me. It was almost like I felt like I had Trump looking over my shoulder because I knew in some fashion it would get back to him if I said anything that he would find disloyal. And the prospect of that genuinely scared me. You know, I'd seen this world ruin people's lives or try to ruin people's careers. I'd seen how vicious they can be. Bassantino said in a statement that he believed Hutchinson was being truthful and cooperative with the committee in the interviews he represented for her, or her for, I should say. So joining me now to discuss senior political analyst and senior political correspondent at the New York Times, Maggie Haberman. Maggie, thank you uh, very much for joining us. I appreciate it. Listen, we're going to get to this full report. Good morning to you, by the way, this full report. But I just want to get to what we learned about Cassidy Hutchinson, um, where she talks about her strange relationship with her father. She went to him to ask him for help, feeling like uh, Trump world was watching her. It is stunning. She, I just want to read something about what she said, because I think it just shows you. She said her, her dad was a Trump supporter, and they had a strange, strange relationship. She said... Um, uh, Let's see. Um, my biological father, uh, but I went to his place. I didn't have a relationship with my biological father, but I went to, over to his place one night. I drove up to New Jersey and I went to his house one night and begged him. It's probably one thing I regret in all of this. I wish I didn't stoop to that level because it was a no, but I begged him to help me. I said, would you... I said, I would pay him back, like, name your interest rate, like, I just need help. And I remember saying to him, you have no idea what they're going to do to me. Terrifying. Terrifying. She sounds incredibly scared in this transcript. And she lays out a culture of Trump land that we have heard many, many other former aides talk about over years. Michael Cohen, uh, you know, Stephanie Grisham. You can go down the list, Alyssa, the list, Alyssa Farah. Uh, and she was clearly worried about what would happen to her, not just in terms of Trump land, but she had no money. She had no lawyer. She had no anything. And Mark Meadows was not responding to her. Mark Meadows, who had been her boss for two years. So you can see how she ended up with Stefan Pasentino. And, you know, yes, you just played the statement from Stefan Pasentino. What she 
alleges in this under oath transcript is that Stefan Pesentino was not just representing her, but that he was trying to shape her testimony. And that is very, very serious and very specific and is something that, you know, the committee has said the DOJ is looking at it. Uh, I suspect we will be hearing more about this in the coming months. Can you give us a sense of, with these 845 pages, I know you went through them because you had a report out at two in the morning, so you haven't slept. Um, but what did, what stood out to you? What, because you've been reporting on Trump World for so long. What stood out to you from this report? Were, th- were there new things that we hadn't seen, for example, during the committee? There actually was a lot of a new meat on the bone. The, the overarching story remains the same, which is that the committee finds him unfit to serve, shows that he was not, you know, and they stress this over and over again, he was an active participant in this. He wasn't some person who was being beset by bad advice, which is something that a lot of his allies have tried suggesting, but that he was actually the center of the wheel on, on all of this. So, you know, that's, that's the main takeaway. There's new information about how frustrated the National Guard was waiting to be deployed. It was really, really striking to read. There's new details about specifically what mo- at which moments during the 187 minutes Trump knew certain things. So when exactly he realized a riot was in place, it was pretty soon after he got back to the Capitol. At some point in the 2 o'clock hour, late in that hour, there's a note put on his desk saying that Ashley Babbitt has been shot. So it's not as if he was just, again, this passive observer. And then there's new information about his aides over and over again. It's important to remember these are his own advisors painting this picture of him not caring, him ignoring things, him, another important detail I thought was him acknowledging to aides that what Sidney Powell was saying about, you know, voting machines and Hugo Chavez hacking them in some big plot sounded crazy. That feeds into the point that several people testified to, which was that he knew some of this was not true. He and knew yet he, lost. he And yet he continued, <laughs> correct, and yet he continued pushing this. Well, so listen, that obviously shocking, but even more shocking, the fake electors plot that is mentioned mm-hmm. in this as well, mm-hmm. which could be, I think, if there's any sort of liability, perhaps criminally or legally, it would be for this fake electors plot. I think that's, that's one element. We know that the committee re- recommended other charges, one of which yeah. is insurrection. There were a couple of others. I think on the fake electors plot, it's not just Donald Trump who has potential exposure. There are a lot of people who have exposure over and over again because it's very clear that they knew they were doing something that was legally questionable. I think they will argue, no, 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 we thought it was real. But you can see in their communications that there are things that they were doing that they knew were problematic. And this plan began really early. That's one of the other things that the report documents. This didn't just spring up, you know, in mid-December. This was this was. Going on for weeks, the report cites reporting I did uh, very shortly after the election where Trump was asking uh, advisors, I think it was November 11th or 12th, about how to get states to choose electors who are loyal to him. This started very early. I do, I do want to ask you um, about some of the recommendation. It also sort of talks about others surrounding Donald Trump, people that did not come in when they were subpoenaed. Mm-hmm. Do you think there's any teeth uh, that this will provide teeth to another agency, obviously the DOJ, um, going forward to go after anyone else. Look, we know the DOJ wanted these transcripts, and they didn't have them for a long time. They're going to have them all now. I think they've looked at a bunch of them already, because I know some folks have been going over to to DOJ to to, to review, uh, or at least been going over to the House to review, excuse me. So I think that it does give them more evidence, especially for people who then wouldn't cooperate with other aspects of the investigation. But how far along this is going to go, I don't think we know. I do want to just make one point that I think gets overlooked, and this is not related to the report other than that it's it's adjacent to it. 
you know, there's a lot of focus on will Donald Trump get indicted. Even if Donald Trump doesn't get indicted, he is facing this huge flurry of litigation this year. He is facing trials in a number of cases. So this is going to be something he is he is facing a tough legal year no matter what happens here. Georgia, New York, I mean, the states and the federal. A, a, a fraud lawsuit related to ACN, uh, two suits related to E. Jean Carroll. Um, right. You know, the list goes on. Sorry. What about Pasatino, just quickly, because if, if what's alleged in this report, in Cassidy Hutchinson, um, he could be disbarred for that. Oh, at, at, at least. I mean, he, he is facing severe legal jeopardy, and I don't know what ends up happening uh, with this. We'll see what the DOJ does. Uh, it is on the DOJ's radar. Uh, I think they are taking it seriously. I don't know how uh, aggressively they're taking it, but these are serious allegations, and he has a real problem. It takes a lot to be disbarred. It'll be really interesting to see that. And, we, and we've seen that with Giuliani, too, right. right? Except yeah. this is a very, this is, this is a, a different type different. of allegation. All right. Thank you, Maggie. Merry Thank Christmas. You. Appreciate, Appreciate it. Thank you. All right. This morning, incoming Republican Congressman George Santos facing growing scrutiny as his entire life story has really come under question amid the troubling holes in his resume. Now, he says, he's ready to address those concerns. CNN's Jessica Dean joins me now with more. Jessica. Well, good morning to you, Sarah. He says that he's going to address all these concerns next week, that he's going to tell his story. But the fact of the matter is more and more discrepancies continue to pop up almost daily. Incoming Congressman George Santos finally acknowledging the growing scrutiny surrounding many apparent discrepancies in his biography, tweeting, quote, I have my story to tell, and it will be told next week. Shabbat shalom to everybody. One part of the New York Republicans' background now in question, his family history. You know, my grandparents survived the Holocaust. I'm very proud of my Jewish heritage. I'm very proud of my my grandparents' story. My grandfather fleeing uh, Ukraine, fleeing Stalin's persecution, going to, to Belgium, finding refuge there, marrying my grandmother, then fleeing Hitler, going to, to, to Brazil. But those claims are contradicted by sources reviewed by CNN's K-File, including family trees, records on Jewish refugees, and interviews with multiple genealogists. As I always joke, I'm Jewish. <laughs> I come from a Jewish family. My mother's family is Jewish. Uh, I grew up and I was raised Roman Catholic. Megan Smolenak, an author and professional genealogist who helped research Santa's family tree at CNN's request, said in an email, quote, There's no sign of Jewish and or Ukrainian heritage and no indication of name changes along the way. Today, I live that American dream. It's just the latest development since the New York Times first reported and CNN confirmed that Santos may have misrepresented parts of his resume regarding his college education and employment history, saying he attended schools and worked at companies that have no records of his attendance or employment. While some are calling for an investigation and potential consequences. This is what is clearly a serial effort to defraud fraud voters uh, in his district. And if uh, George Santos uh, did that, and he certainly appears to have made false statements in his disclosure forms to the FEC, I I think it's worth the U.S. Attorney's Office looking into this. On Capitol Hill Thursday, House GOP leader Kevin McCarthy refused to answer any questions about what may happen to Santos or if anything should be done. Mr. Santos. Santos is part of a very slim four-seat majority Republicans will hold when they take over the House in January.
And so the looming question here, of course, is what comes next, especially as it relates to Capitol Hill and that very slim majority that House Republicans uh, will have when they take over the House in January. As you saw there in the piece, Sarah, Kevin McCarthy, the House GOP leader, not answering any questions, refusing to answer any questions about this. Will Santos be seated as a new member? Uh, Will McCarthy do anything? And if so, what is that? Will House ethics get involved? These are all of the things we simply just don't know the answer to right now, but will unfold over the next several weeks. Mm-hmm. Uh, it looks really suspicious. I yeah. cannot wait to hear what Mr. Santos has to say about all this. Jessica Dean, thank you so much. Yeah. Listen, he's got, a, he's got a lot to answer. And, and yes. the best thing for him to do, I think, right now is to come out and answer the questions. And As my grandmother would say, come clean, man. You have to get, come out come and answer clean. the questions because he's getting it from both Democrats and, and Republicans. Republicans. And then he, does he want to take this baggage to Washington and make the whole thing even bigger? So he's got to do it now. Agreed. Straight ahead, we have the latest on the power outages across the country. More than 820,000 without power right now and growing. Oh, my bad. And here's a live look at conditions on a highway in Nashville, Tennessee. What you need to know before heading out on the roads right there, it is 19 below with the wind chill. Whoa. Don't do it. It's pretty icy and very slick. Like even in the areas that have been plowed really well, if you get above 40 miles an hour, you start sliding around. But yeah, um, we're definitely... Snow devil just got that on camera, hello. This is definitely horrible conditions. I'm not getting the mail today. The mail could stay in there. Well, this man in Pittsburgh, Kansas recording the fierce winter storm as it blows past his house. A huge swath of the country is in the grip of what experts are calling a once in a generation winter storm. Aside from life threatening cold, hurricane force winds, dangerous roads, and gnarled travel, there's another threat, and that is, of course, the power grid. Let's look at that whiteout conditions Beautiful. there. There's a look at the outages all across the country this hour. About 820,000 customers are without power. The most outages are seen in Georgia. Connecticut, South Carolina, and Texas. Let's go straight now to Craig Miller. He's a professor of electrical and computer engineering at Carnegie Mellon University. We're so happy to have him on, especially to talk about what's happening with the grid. Good morning uh, to you, Professor Miller. Can Good you hear morning me? to you. Got me. Okay, great. I can hear you well. What sort of strain do you expect the storm to place on the power grids across this country? Well, there's there's two sorts of strains we have to worry about. Uh, The first is the fact that ice is going to be building up on the electrical wires, uh, the ones in your neighborhood, the so-called distribution wires. And a lot of them will fall and have to be replaced, which is very difficult under the current circumstances because with gale force winds, you can't expect a lineman to go up a pole uh, right now. Mm-hmm. The other thing we have to worry about is that there's going to be tremendous load. People will be substituting space heaters to bring their houses up to temperature right. uh, if their normal food isn't enough. And that huge load is going to, to stress the grid. Um, it's going to be particularly difficult if there's a power outage, as we're seeing all over the country right now or all over the east. Um, when power comes back on, everybody has all the switches turned on, all the lights, all the heaters, you know, hoping for the best. But there's an instantaneous hit to the grid when we restore power, and that can destabilize things. Mm-hmm. 
So listen, if you can explain that a little bit more, because sure. why this storm poses uh, such a threat to the electrical infrastructure, high demand, right? And well, then there's also issues with the equipment. High demand and the, the, the equipment being you know, fatigued uh, from the, the weather that's hitting it. Uh, electrical lines actually like to be cold. We have, we have limitations on capacity during the hot months. But in winter, the wire is, is uh, more brittle, uh, the insulation particularly. And when ice builds up on it, the stress can cause the wire to uh, break the pole, uh, bend the pole, or, or just drop to the ground. And at that point, you know, the power hopefully cuts out right away for safety reasons. And it takes manual restoration. We need linemen, brave linemen, real first responders there who have to go out and, and climb the pole and put the conductor back in place. And uh, under the conditions that are extant now, you know, with, with zero wind chill and 50 mile an hour winds, there is no safe way for a lineman to, to uh, do that. So they need to wait until there's a bit of a break in the weather to, to weigh in. Then when they do restore power, everybody will have all their switches on. You know, you, when the power goes off, you try to get everything going. And so there's an instantaneous demand um, to, right. to immediately supply all the heaters and all the lights. And uh, That's stressful that on the, very stressful oh, on the system. Terrible. Listen, Craig Miller... Craig Miller is a professor of electrical and computer engineering at Carnegie Mellon University, and we're so happy that he's here this morning to share his expertise. You be safe, sure. and thank you for joining us this morning. Happy holidays to you. Oh, you're welcome. Bye-bye. Sarah? Okay, now this is next thing is just going to make you laugh because it's the truth. Mm-hmm. CNN affiliate KWWL sent their sports reporter, Mark Woodley, to cover the winter storm, and he had a memorable but not necessarily fun time outdoors. Take a look. Mark, how are you feeling out there? Uh, again, uh, the same way I felt about eight minutes ago when you asked me that same question, right? I normally do sports. Uh, everything is canceled here for the next couple of days. So what better time to ask the sports guy to come in about five hours normally uh, earlier than he would normally wake up, go stand out in the wind and the snow and the cold and tell other people not to do the same. It's absolutely uh, fantastic, Ryan. You know, I- I'm used to these evening shows that are only 30 minutes long and generally on those shows I'm inside so uh, this is a really long show tune in for the next couple hours to watch me progressively get crankier and crankier. Can I go back to my regular job? I'm pretty sure Ryan that you guys added an extra hour to this show just because somebody likes torturing me because compared to two and a half hours ago it is just getting colder and colder. Live in Waterloo for the last time this morning, thankfully, I'm Mark Woodley, News 7, KWWL. Love that guy. Right, he's saying what we all feel when we're out there and we're telling people not to go out, but we're standing there for hours on end. He speaks for the people. He does. CNN, hire that guy. <laughs> what do I say every morning, guys, after the first break? Is it 8 o'clock yet? Is it, are we in the 8 o'clock hour yet? <laughs> we're close. <laughs> we are close. And I'm inside. I mean, and you're inside. <laughs>
<laughs> that guy speaks for the people. Okay. So listen, we got to talk about this because he's out there. He's out there for serious reasons. Yes. And that's because we have this historic storm that's happening across the country. Uh, and our storm team is out there. Senior reporters, weather officials standing by. We're going to tell you what's going on. Our transportation secretary, Pete Buttigieg, is going to join us in moments to talk about what's happening. And you know the song, but not the story. CNN dives into the case. The music world couldn't shake off. Taking on Taylor Swift airs tonight at 9 p.m. Eastern. Mm-hmm. When I first heard Shake It Off, when the hook started, how does a person feel when they come home and they feel like their house has been robbed? As soon as I heard the hook, I said, that's 3LW. 3LW had a steady fandom. We had to take action somehow. Songwriters Nathan Butler and Sean Hall sued Taylor Swift, claiming that Shake It Off borrowed from a song they wrote. The part of the song that everybody remembers. Play is they gotta play and hate is they gotta hate. This situation is bigger than me. When you have a hit song, you're probably gonna get sued. Sort of like trying to copyright what's up. Everyone in the music industry is sort of looking over their shoulder. Taylor's team has been arguing it's a money grab. When you respect other songwriters, you give credit. If we know anything about Taylor Swift, is that she does not shy away from a fight. Nothing says Christmas and presents like the image of Santa Claus. While many things change with time, the traditional face of the jolly old elf has remained unchanged for decades. Now those in the Santa business tell CNN the demand for wider representation among Santa's ranks is growing. Our Ryan Young joins us now live from Atlanta. Good to see you, Ryan. Good morning, Sarah. So what kind of changes are we seeing with Saint, good old Saint Nick? Look, we knew this was tough, especially after the pandemic. Santa is in demand across the country. It's been hard to hire the big guy, but especially across the country, parents have been driving even extra long miles to find diverse Santas. What did you want Santa to bring you? I want Santa to bring me a monster truck. Tell him just a couple of things. Yeah, hit me. Oh, I just told him a lot. I just always told him that was a slime maker. Santa, one of the most joyful and instantly recognizable characters across the world. At malls across the country, some kids have noticed a different, diverse set of Santas popping up. Mommy, it's a black Santa. Ho, ho, ho. Children always ask me, how can you be a Santa of this color and then be a Santa of a, another color somewhere else? And I always tell them, Santa travels all over the world, so Santa relates to all communities and cultures. This Santa looks different than a lot of Santas across the country. Yes, it's important for us to see ones that look like us. So that's why it was important for her to get those pictures. Now we got diverse Santas and everything. We can get a Mexican Santa, Chinese Santa. We can have the kind of Santa you want that make you feel good about Christmas. Does that matter, you think? Um, sometimes for the kids, yeah. Okay. Sometimes for the kids to see someone that looks like them that they're supposed to be getting presents from. Merry Christmas. One of the nation's largest Santa hiring services tells us the demand to hire diverse Santas is on the rise across the country. The demand for diversity among Santa Claus Entertainer has really gone through the roof. Uh, we can't keep up. We're able to uh, let Santa look and sound like the children that he's speaking to. Representation means so much to a lot of people. Had you ever, when you were a kid, met a Santa like yourself? It, it wasn't a good experience for me. 
I have three sisters and one brother. All of them are hearing. You know, they're all very excited to see Santa. They're chatting. They're excited. Then, you know, come time for my turn. And Santa just gives me this look. You know, it's flat, expressionless. He hands me a gift. And for me, I felt deflated inside. Santa Charles is one of the few Santas who was deaf and uses his tremendous personality to connect with kids who are too often left out. You know, Santa is, you know, a magical experience for children. It's about bringing joy to their lives. It really means a lot to me. These moments will last a lifetime for these families. Say cheese. That will cherish these pictures, which helps to enhance the magic of the season. Do you sign Merry Christmas? Sarah, as you know, we work on so many stories all year long, and it really stood out to me, Santa Charles, and the effect that he had on so many of those kids. It's really in his heart when he talks about the idea that as a child himself, he got that blank stare from a Santa because he didn't know how to handle it, and now he's spreading that joy. But I can also tell you, both of you guys, because you understand this, people driving more than 35, 40 minutes to find a black Santa was something that stood out to me because it's something that you didn't see when we were kids. Nope. And this spreads yeah. across all across the country. You have Asian Santa, you have Hispanic Santa. So this is cool as you kind of see the mix. And then you saw some kids of different nationalities hanging out with Santa like it just didn't matter. And you got to love that as well. I love it. And that was really good. I learned ASL when I was a kid. I've forgotten a lot of it, but, oh. but um, that was, I love the signing Santa. It's about communication it is. and it's about representation so that people relate. I love that story, Ryan. I gotta be honest with you. When I look back on some of you, you ever look back on your pictures for Santa yeah. as a kid and then, um, you know, people will comment to me, it's like, look, that was a white Santa. Like you didn't really think about it then, and now you're like, it seems a little odd that these black kids are there with the white Santa, but whatever. It's all good. We it are works. the world. Each his own, you know. Yeah, absolutely. I was scared this of Santa. Is, these so. are my stockings. There's a black Can, can you see? He's, he's got the cutest things in oh, the you house. You can't really see my phone. There's a black Santa and a white Santa stocking that we Your found. Story. Thank you, <laughs> Ryan Young, you're the best. Thank you. Thank you, Ryan. Be well. Merry Christmas to you. CNN This Morning continues right now. So glad that you could join us this morning on the eve before the eve of Christmas. Good morning, everyone. Poppy and Caitlin are off, and I'm here with the lovely and smart and talented Sarah Sutton. I was wondering where you were going with that. <laughs> you almost said something else, but we're good. <laughs> <laughs> it's good to have you here. We're going to catch you up on the five big stories CNN from CNN this morning. More than half the U.S. population is under winter storm and wind chill alerts as a major storm moves across the country. It's not like a snow day, you know, when you're a kid. This is serious stuff. Please take this storm extremely seriously. More than 820,000 power customers across the country are in the dark. Thousands of flights have been canceled. Our reporters are standing by. And the January 6th committee has released its final report, giving us a look into the 1,000 plus interviews it conducted in a year and a half. The committee found that, quote, one man was responsible for the January 6th attack. That man, former President Donald Trump. They recommended barring Trump from being able to hold public office ever again. For the first known time in public, Vladimir Putin has called his invasion of Ukraine a war. 
Our goal is not to spin the flywheel of military conflict, but on the contrary, to end this war. We have been and will continue to strive for this. Putin has been calling the invasion a special military operation. Putin's critics say that using the word war to describe the conflict has been illegal in Russia since March. And overnight, North Korea launched two short-range ballistic missiles. South Korean officials say the missiles were launched into the waters between the Korean Peninsula and Japan. This marks the 36th day this year that North Korea has conducted a missile launch. And former FTX CEO Sam Bankman-Fried is out on bond. A New York judge released him on a $250 million bond after his first court appearance on American soil. He was extradited from the Bahamas earlier this week. Bankman-Fried faces eight counts of fraud and conspiracy for his failed crypto exchange company. He will be under house arrest. This morning, a severe winter storm packing blizzard conditions and sub-zero temperatures is sweeping across much of the United States. More than 200 million Americans are under winter chill alerts and heavy snow and ice are making the roads really dangerous, leaving some drivers stranded in the cold. More than 3,000 flights canceled this morning. Hundreds more are delayed and more than 820,000 customers are now without power. CNN this morning is covering the storm from New York, Chicago and Denver. And our transportation secretary, Pete Buttigieg, is standing by as millions face dangers, the dangers on the road. But first, we want to get to CNN's Polo Sandoval live for us in Buffalo, New York this morning. Polo, good morning to you. It looks like the wind's picking up, the rain and the temperatures are going to drop. Yeah. It's remarkable how fast things changed. Um, when we first started CNN this morning in the 6 a.m. hour, temperatures in the area were upper 30s, lower 40s, zero wind, and look at the difference now. Uh, basically, the storm system beginning to move closer to the eastern shore of Lake Erie, and that's why we're beginning to feel it. And as you look over my shoulder, you can see the roads are still relatively drivable. That's because the temperature has not plummeted as much as is expected to later today. But the National Weather Service here in Buffalo reporting the Dunkirk community about an hour's drive south of here recorded a a eight degree temperature drop in only six minutes. So that gives you an insight and some perspective into how fast things will change and how fast conditions will deteriorate. I have to tell you, the main we were here last month when we saw record snowfall. This is not going to be so much a snow event as it will be just a freezing and a flooding event. The intersection that you see behind me, if you take a left here, you eventually end up on the lakefront. That's where a bulk of the coastal flooding concerns are right now. And that's why there's even a mandatory evacuation order just south of here. And that's where the biggest concern is right now. Is it necessarily the flooding, uh, or rather necessarily the snow, but the flooding in some of those coastal communities, they could potentially see up to two feet of flooding in some of those low-lying areas. And also these roads, these streets, they are going to quickly freeze. That's why some of the interstates in and around Buffalo, they've already been close to non-essential traffic. And this is just the start, Sarah and Don. I mean, how does your face feel, Polo? Because I can see that wind just whipping you up. <laughs> You know, I, I have a hearty <laughs> South Texas face. We, 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 we've been through uh, some pretty hot temperatures down there. This is complete opposite, so I'm a little bit more vulnerable, but I think we're going to be all right. We are staying safe. We're staying off these streets right now, which is exactly what authorities hope that the rest of the folks around the area do as well. Polo Sandoval, Buffalo, New York. Be safe. Thank you, sir.
And those dropping temperatures create some big travel chaos, as you might imagine, at airports as millions of Americans are heading home or for a visit for the holidays. This morning, thousands of flights have already been canceled. Let's go to CNN's Pete Muntean, who's standing by live at Chicago O'Hare Airport. I imagine the frustration grows throughout the day as more and more flights are canceled. Is that what's happening at this hour? The frustration grows and the number of cancellations grows, Sarah. 3,240. That's what we're seeing now across the country in terms of cancellations, according to FlightAware. That number goes up and up by the moment. It's really dwarfed yesterday where we saw only 2,600 cancellations nationwide. This is really changing as this storm is moving east. Yesterday, the delays and cancellations were primarily focused in the Midwest and the West. Today, it's going to be the airports in the east that will be the big concern. LaGuardia ranks the top as the number of cancellations go. Seattle, we see Chicago still in top spots here at O'Hare and at Midway. Detroit, 42 percent of all flights have been canceled. That's a major hub for Delta Airlines. Also, we're going to see some cancellations climbing in Boston and in D.C. The FAA says what will drive delays and cancellations is really the ground game that airports are playing right now, how quickly they can de-ice planes and get them on their way. I want you to listen now to United Airlines head of network operations, Joe Hines. He told me that it's really not the snow that is causing all of these delays and cancellations. It's more the biting cold. The high temperature here forecast at Chicago here, United's biggest hub, only one degree Fahrenheit today, and that's not factoring in the wind chill. Listen. Winter operations like this, temperature, wind, snow, it's going to drive delays. We know the challenges. We have experience around the winter storms. There's only so much you can do. We'll, we'll operate. We'll operate slowly, but we will operate safely. One of the big things that airlines say, their big tip is to download their app. That is the way you can get up to the minute information about your flight status, delays and cancellations, and how to get on a new flight. One of the big challenges now is that there's simply not all that many seats if you get booked onto a new flight. Passenger volume is up, but the number of seats remains still pretty low. One other interesting delay that's coming into the mix here, we're hearing from UPS, FedEx, and the United States Postal Service. They are putting into place some contingency plans about delayed shipments for Christmas, those presents arriving on your doorstep. But the big question now is whether or not those things will be delayed. They say that could be a possibility, Sarah. Kids, Santa might be a little late. Better start warning them now and check with your airlines, as you said. <laughs> Pete Wintine, thank you, as always. All right, let's discuss what's going to happen to our uh, infrastructure, transportation system. The Transportation Secretary, Pete Buttigieg, is here. Good morning to you, sir. It's going to be very stressful out there, as you know, so we're glad to have you here. Um, more than 3,200 flights have been canceled. Major highways are closed. Bus and train service also affected as the storm threatens to make travel impossible in some areas today. Your top concern right now? Well, the top concern is always safety. Uh, on the aviation side, our, our national aviation system is operating, but it's operating under enormous strain. And uh, what you have is multiple issues across the different areas of the airspace. In the Northwest, we actually have another storm coming in, bringing in snow that's affecting Seattle, Portland, and airports in that area. Uh, on the East Coast, from, from Boston down toward Atlanta, wind is the main issue. Uh, and then, as your correspondent Pete reported in, in the middle of the country, it's really about that, that uh, 
frigid temperature that you're seeing. That limits the ability of ground crews to operate. They, uh, they make it look easy. You see that they've got a lot of winter weather gear, but there is still only so long that, uh, that these workers can be on the ground servicing those aircraft before it's a safety issue and they need to get back inside. So uh, all of that contributed yesterday to cancellation rates around 10%. Now, of course, that means 90% of flights did go, but just to put that in perspective, I consider anything above about 2% uh, to be a high rate of cancellation. And today, as was reported, uh, we're already above the number of cancellations we saw yesterday. Yeah. So the aviation picture, going to see a lot of uh, disruptions, encourage people to uh, stay in close touch with your airlines, watch that app, see what's happening to your flight. Uh, but from a safety perspective, the thing I'm most worried about uh, is the roadways. You've got a lot of drivers, maybe not used to driving in winter conditions, Maybe you're traveling to a place you're not used to driving to visit relatives, and I just want to urge everyone, I know we, we all want to get to, to uh, our loved ones for the holidays, but please, please pay close attention to what local authorities are saying. And if they're saying it's not safe to drive, it's not safe to drive. Yeah, no follow. matter uh, how much you want to be quickly to your loved ones, make sure you get there safe. Yeah, follow their direction. I'm glad you're stressing um, the roads, because that's how most people travel. Um, it's on the roads, and it's not necessarily air travel, although that's very important. Listen, the president, uh, President Biden, uh, Secretary is urging Americans to stay off the roads in places where the weather is bad, as, as you just have as well. The cancellations that you mentioned likely to push some families to drive even more and to drive home for the holidays instead. How important is it for people to heed the warnings that the president is giving uh, and that you just gave here on our air as well? Well, lots of things are so important to us around the holidays, our, our traditions, our, our loved ones. But of course, the most important thing is to be safe, to, to be alive and well for your loved ones. And that means making smart choices when it comes to uh, driving conditions and road conditions. Uh, if you, uh, you know, if, if uh, the uh, indication from the forecasts and local authorities is that you can drive, but you need to do it with caution, take those steps. Uh, we, we've got recommendations on our website. You, you can uh, see that with local authorities too about how to make sure that your uh, car is, is equipped for, for winter weather, that you uh, are using a car seat in a way that's, uh, that's safe with the uh, blankets and jackets on the outside of the straps, not the inside. Just those kinds of steps that'll, that'll make it safe. But if they're saying don't drive, don't drive. Uh, the, the president indicated just how serious this is. We're seeing things like uh, I-90 actually closed outright in parts of South Dakota and Minnesota uh, last I saw. That is not a step that authorities take lightly, closing an interstate. So uh, you really want to make sure that you're paying attention to those local warnings because these temperatures that we're seeing, especially in the middle part of the country, that can turn an, an ordinary fender bender into something much more dangerous. Listen, I know that you're the transportation uh, secretary, but I also want to talk about infrastructure because the two do um, connect. I had on just moments ago Craig Miller, who's a professor of electro electrical and computer engineering at Carnegie Mellon University, and he talked about the stress on our power grids, and he talked about the lines, possibility of lines snapping in the cold weather, and then the stress once that workers can't get out there in the middle of it. It's going to take some time. It's got to, it's got to warm up a little bit for them to be able to get out there. And then the stress it puts uh, on the system once it comes back on because everyone has their power on and the surge and what have you. Can you speak to that and offer people some advice? 
Well, I don't want to get too far out, outside of my expertise, but definitely this is another area where you want to pay attention to what local authorities and local utilities are saying. Uh, just as we have extraordinary transportation workers across the uh, aviation, logistics, and shipping who are, uh, even in these extreme conditions, helping you get to where you need to be, helping packages get to where you, they need to be. Uh, it's also true on the utility side. Uh, when you do have these outages, it, it's just absolutely extraordinary uh, what these line workers and others go through in order to quickly restore power. Uh, so important to, to listen to any local announcements about how to make things a little bit easier for them. And of course, everybody's priority is to uh, keep things uh, up and running, keep things safe, uh, and uh, have everybody under as normal conditions as possible so that we can make the most of these holidays. As a former mayor, I knew you would know how to answer that question because you've had to deal with it uh, in that role as well. Thank you, Secretary Buttigieg. Appreciate it. Merry Christmas to you and yours. Thank you. Same to you. Thank you. Take care. Let's go now to CNN affiliate uh, WHBQ reporter Jeremy Pierre, who is live for us in Memphis, Tennessee. Jeremy, wind chills clocked at negative 18. Uh, that's not normal for Memphis. How are things going there? It's definitely not a typical day here in the city of Memphis, and it's showing with the drivers for sure. We're on Walnut Grove, uh, which is very popular uh, for people to get to and from work. And already this morning, we have seen people be defeated uh, by this hill here in front of Hope Church on Walnut Grove in the city of Memphis. On our way to this area, we actually saw uh, about 10 cars, 10 cars that either have been abandoned or wrecked. You can see it right here already this morning in this section. We have seen four cars spin out of control that car right there that vehicle that suv is the long one that is just stuck it's, it can't move because of the ice not only is this ice on this road hard to drive on but it's absolutely impossible to walk on i got a chance myself to see for for myself that uh it is ice ice for sure and for the most part people are having trouble going up the hill also down the hill as you see with this crashed out car right here also with people coming down this hill right here people are ending up up that hill for sure so i've been in contact with several sources and with local hospitals thankfully no one has uh, shown up to a hospital this morning due to injuries because of uh, any of the car crashes that have happened are being spun out of control here in the city of Memphis. But uh, definitely not a typical day. It's cold, extremely cold, not what we're used to in this part of the neck of the woods, the Mid-South area, and uh, definitely not a typical driving day for anyone that has to go back to not work, a, to I or mean, from work. Memphis, this is not Back your weather. You. No. Yeah, stay no. Home. <laughs> stay home. And also, Jeremy, <laughs> do not walk on that road. I was so scared you're going to try to show us. It is, you can actually see the ice, right? If your cameraman will show us that shot again right next to you, you can see the ice on the road. Don't do it, Jeremy. You can see, you can see the <laughs> ice. Look, I'm touching it. You see how slick my yeah, hand is right here. That's wild. It is uh, just sliding, <laughs> slick and sliding. So, mm. whoo. Yeah. yeah, that's the right word. <laughs> 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 <laughs>
<laughs> Jeremy, we that's the truest thing that anybody has said on this show all morning. <laughs> Woo! Woo! Jeremy, you, Jeremy Pierre. Pierre. <laughs> now Woo. that yes. is a good report. All right, we want to head now to uh, Denver, uh, where temperatures plummeted overnight and wind chills are 13 degrees below zero right now. That's where we're going to find seeing is Lucy Kavanaugh. Lucy, good morning uh, to you. How are people holding up after some record drops in temperature there? Yeah, Don, good morning to you. I mean, not a great morning considering how painful it is to be standing out here. Um, we did consider trying to find some folks to ask them how they're holding up, but thankfully most people seem to be heeding the advice of authorities and staying out of this terrible, bitter cold. Now, Colorado, unlike Memphis, is used to its cold winters. We're used to snow, we're used to uh, the temperatures dropping, but of course the swiftness with which this Arctic blast came barreling through was just remarkable. We're talking about a 75 degree temperature swing from roughly 50 degrees on Wednesday when I was on air to minus 24 degrees Thursday morning. And those numbers don't do justice to how it actually feels to the human body, to the skin outside. Uh, wind chills of negative 60, approaching negative 60 in some parts of Colorado. That's the kind of condition that can cause frostbite to expose skin within minutes. Folks being urged to stand indoors, to stay indoors. Colorado's uh, governor acted in the National Guard to help with the extreme cold weather conditions. Now, we did see this massive Denver Coliseum opened up and converted into a 24-hour warming center uh, to get folks out of the cold. But there was so much demand on that they had to open up two more emergency warming centers to keep people out of those freezing uncomfortable, painful conditions. Most of the city is hunkering down. We are seeing some car traffic. Uh, and there is, of course, good news on the horizon for us. Uh, we're expecting these cold wind chills until about 11 a.m. local time, but then the temperatures will finally start climbing above zero. We've had nearly 35 hours, consecutive hours of temperatures below zero, but we could be back to 50 degrees by Christmas. Good news for us. Not so good for you guys as that storm moves your way. Don? Lucy Kavanaugh, thank you very much. She does look like warm. She does look warm. I though. mean, listen, she's ready. <laughs> she's ready. She's ready for the weather. Next, we're going to speak to a federal weather prediction official about this historic storm and what states that don't typically get so cold can expect. Plus, the January 6th committee has released its final report, and it places the full blame on one man. The new evidence revealed overnight. The U.S. is in the middle of one of the worst winter storms in years. Historic temperature drops and hurricane force winds are leaving almost a million customers without power now and destroying holiday plans. But how do these storms form and what can we expect as this one moves across the United States? Let's bring in Greg Carbon. He's the chief of the forecast operations branch of NOAA's Weather Prediction Center. Um, Thank you so much for joining us. Yes, good morning. How are you? You're in the prediction business. I try to stay away from it. Can you give us a sense of, of how <laughs> things look right now and how long this is expected to, to last? Yeah, Sarah, right now we're looking at a major, major storm, as you've heard all morning long, essentially expansive in nature. It extends from north in Canada all the way down to the Gulf Coast in Florida. And this system is what we call a, a cyclone bomb. Uh, The pressure in the center of the storm has dropped dramatically over the past 24 hours. We'll continue to do so today as it drifts slowly. The center drifts slowly into Canada. 
but its impacts are basically nationwide. Another storm system affecting the Pacific Northwest we heard of earlier, and it's really hard to find where the worst weather is. It's just about everywhere from coast to coast this morning. Um, so you're talking about it being everywhere from coast to coast. Is this what you expected to happen? I know there was warnings that this was coming. Um, it's dropping so quickly. We just watched our reporter, Polo Sandoval, go from 38 degrees to, you know, t- at least 10 degrees lower with a bunch of snow and wind. Is this what you expected to happen? Yes, actually, the, the forecasts for this event are quite remarkable, especially the cold air outbreak, which was highlighted in uh, uh, Climate Prediction Center outlooks over two weeks ago. Uh, there was a signal in the atmosphere that there was a growing pool of Arctic air across the polar regions and that that air was going to spill south across the Canadian border into the plains and then eventually to the East Coast. We are just minutes away on the East Coast here from getting the Arctic cold frontal passage, and we will see temperatures drop 10 to 20 degrees in about an hour. One of the big concerns is we've had a lot of rain overnight, and some of those roadways will quickly freeze up uh, once that cold air starts to come into the East Coast. And of course, it's across the rest of the country as well, 60, 70 degree wind chills down across parts of the Great Plains. Uh, Right now, we've got a lot of rain and high winds across parts of the Northeast, uh, possibly taking power out and also causing major delays as far as the air traffic system goes. Yeah, it sounded like a summer thunderstorm in New York this morning and the roads are slick. So uh, it's going to be pretty dangerous out there to, to drive or walk. Can you put this into context for us. Uh, We always have a very bad habit in the news business of saying this is the worst storm ever. But how does this storm stack up with other storms that we've seen in the past? So what's very interesting is the atmosphere doesn't exactly repeat itself, but occasionally gets very close. It's almost like fingerprints. No one day is exactly alike. However, this system has some similarities to a major blizzard that occurred across the Midwest back in 1978. So over 40 years ago, we had a very similar situation occur with a very deep cyclone uh, located over the Great Lakes and causing similar problems. The forecast in that event were not great. And in fact, it gives you an idea of how far we've come in the forecasting and the science of meteorology that we're able to foresee this event over a week in advance. I mean, when you're looking at some, we are looking at some of the pictures, that's Memphis, Tennessee. We were just talking to a reporter there. Um, And it is the ice, isn't it, that is the most dangerous uh, of all? It's the ice and also the the low temperatures that we'll see across parts of the south. They're just not used to that. And we'll see two to three days of below freezing temperatures, areas that are vulnerable, areas that don't have uh, well insulated homes are going to have some problems over the next couple of days until this air mass begins to moderate somewhat. It does look like a late Christmas present for parts of the south and southeast. We will see a moderation trend and temperatures will come back above freezing right after Christmas in those areas. Parts of the northern plains, parts of the Great Lakes, it's going to be a while. And they're going to see incredible snowfall, incredible blizzard conditions, especially across parts of western New York over the next few days. Greg, come on. (laughs) There's going to last a long time. This is not the Christmas present that we had all hoped for, but we do appreciate you predicting this so that we can all plan. Greg Carbon, thank you so much for joining us. So in, thank you. Stay safe. Have a good time. Thank you. You too. So in this frigid weather, workers are out there braving the elements. They're risking their lives as well. So joining us now is Gareth Ox Lee. He and his wife own a tow truck company. There he is standing in front of his truck. It's called Ox and Sun Towing. It's located in Great Falls, Montana, where they um, experienced record-breaking cold temperatures. Yesterday alone, mm-hmm. I am told that Ox received more than 400 calls from people seeking help with their vehicles. Ox, thank you so much 
Thank you for your service because we definitely need you year round, but especially at this time. We were just looking at some video of people slipping and sliding in Memphis. You've been getting tons of calls around the clock. What kind of calls are you getting? By the way, just quick, are these live pictures we're looking at or is this video? Those, those, are, those live. are live yeah. pictures. Okay, from Memphis. So we're looking at people spinning out there. What are the conditions like? What are you experiencing? What are folks saying to you? <clears throat> well, right now it's, it's minus 17 with a oh. real feel of minus so i mean it's frigid cold we do have some snow up here but it's not the snow that's the problem it's the it's the arctic temperatures we got going on right now i mean mainly jump starts and lockouts and stuff people trying to warm their cars up and that it's just it's just deathly cold up here right now hmm. and if you ain't prefer you know it could be bad say that again ox it's just it's just deathly cold up here and i mean if you ain't prepared for it that could be really bad but you are you guys i don't know if it's frozen but if you can hear me ox um well, he's there yeah you, okay you're in montana you guys get a lot of cold temperatures you get it, it's so beautiful there um but do you think this is does this feel different to you than than say some other storms in the past few years <laughs> Man, I've been here 20 years, and this is the worst I've ever felt. Wow. Wow. So how do you prioritize in the calls? Look, do you, you got a big fleet, I'm sure, but some calls are more important than others, so, you know, are more urgent, I should say. So how do you prioritize, Ox? The ones broke down on the side of the roads with no heat. Mm. Um, the people slid off into the ditch. The, the people I'm waiting to get their cars jump started or, you know, or towed to a body shop, that's still safe and warm. So just, just, you just gotta, basically it's, it's, it's prior, like you said, prioritizing from, from who's in the most danger to, to what you can put off to, to get to next, you know? Do you save any lives, Ox? Do you ever get to like life-threatening conditions? I imagine, I imagine yes. God, yes, but nothing that, you know, is worth mentioning, sir. Well, we're glad you're out there, Ox. We want you to be safe uh, as well. Just because you're driving the big tow truck doesn't mean that something can't happen. Um, we, you're always in precarious situations, so be safe. And again, we appreciate what you do. Merry Thank Christmas. You, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, guys. Thank you. Yeah, it's a good guy, man. Um, so, and that's a tough job. Yes. New this morning, we're learning of a shooting in Paris that we need to tell you about. We have the details for you. That is next. And what we're learning from the just released January 6th committee's final report ahead. All right, so we have some breaking news to tell you about here. At least three people are dead and four others are injured in central Paris. It's after a gunman opened fire this morning. Straight out of Nada Bashir in London. Nada, please inform us what happened. Well, look, Don, this is certainly still an ongoing situation. An investigation has been launched, as you laid out there. At least three people confirmed dead, four others injured after a gunman opened fires what is said to be a Kurdish community centre in central Paris, uh, reportedly according to a local mayor, a nearby restaurant and barbershop was also 
impacted in this attack. Now, of course, uh, we have learned that the gunman has been arrested. An investigation has been launched. But what is interesting to note is that this gunman was previously known to the authorities regarding two previous incidences, including uh, one previous attack at a migrant tent uh, camp encampment. So there is certainly concern around what may have motivated this attack. At this stage, that is still unclear. The investigators will be working to determine this. But uh, what is most important to note is that the gunman has now been arrested by police. But of course, that tragic news, at least three people dead so far, four others injured. We are still waiting to learn more details around the casualties uh, impacted in this attack. Right, Nada, and as you get more information, we'll get back to you. Nada Bashir in London with our breaking news out of Paris this morning. Thank you, Nada. Now to some other news on the heels of President Zelensky's historic visit to Congress. The House is set to vote on a bill to avoid a government shutdown before funding expires today. The Senate passed its massive $1.7 trillion spending bill on Thursday, which includes roughly $45 billion for Ukraine, funding for uh, prosecutions related to the January 6th attack on the Capitol, and a provision aimed at making it harder to overturn the certified results of a presidential election. Joining us now to discuss is Democratic Congresswoman Abigail Spanberger of Virginia. Thank you so much, Congresswoman, for joining us. Thank you for having me. Let's first talk about this $45 million uh, that has been earmarked for Ukraine as it's in the midst of, of fighting, uh, trying to fight Russia, keeping it from taking over the country and has done an incredibly, um, an incredible job at doing that on their own, but they're asking for more help. Is this money well worth spent or do you have concerns? This money is absolutely an investment uh, that the American people are making in supporting our Ukrainian allies, but also in supporting the cause of democracy throughout the world. I think it's important to remember that while we are making substantial investments in Ukraine, we are also leading the way for our allies throughout the world to do the same. Uh, we are not alone in providing substantial support. Um, and we have led our partners and allies in the provision of aid, be it lethal aid, humanitarian aid, um, and also in sanctioning Russian oligarchs and those who are behind and supporting uh, this horrific invasion and war in Ukraine. Uh, so I am proud to support this additional provision of aid. It is vitally important that we continue to support the Ukrainian people as they fight uh, for their own democracy and the cause of democracy worldwide. Both Don and I have been on the ground there. It is um, incredible to see the work of regular everyday people who uh, do keep saying, look, we just need more weapons. We need more money to try and fight this. But there are uh, those on, on the other side of the aisle, the Republicans, uh, some of the extreme parts of the party as well, saying things like, you know, the, the, the Zelensky is the puppet or the or the shadow president uh, of the United States getting all this money. How do you respond to them? And do they have any um, is there anything that you can see there from their side of things that they're worried about things like what's happening at the border and yet spending this kind of money giving it to Ukraine? So there's a couple of things that, that I bring to this conversation. One, I'm a former CIA officer. I worked undercover with the CIA for the entirety of my time. And among the things that I focused on uh, was understanding the threat of covert influence coming at us um, and certainly our work throughout the world to understand the Russian threat um, towards the United States, towards our people and more broadly around the world. 
And what we have here, unfortunately, is people who are falling prey to Russian talking points, to Putin's talking points. The idea that Putin continues to try and divide um, the United States, not only here domestically, but uh, divide us from our allies, create divisions and sow distrust or dissension among our ranks. Um, and so the conversations I've been having with colleagues are very simple. Um, do not fall prey to Vladimir Putin's talking points. Do not um, uh, uh, give any favor or support to what it is that he would try and push the world round, which is kind of denigrating Ukraine, uh, changing the world's view of what has been a brutal war where they are murdering and raping civilians and just horrific atrocities. Um, and importantly, we are investing in their ability to fight their war, right? The Ukrainians are asking us for aid. They're asking us for the weapon systems that we have that will allow them to continue fighting on their own. They have shown tremendous bravery, tremendous resilience. And what they have been asking from us from the very beginning is uh, access to and support um, of uh, access to our weapon systems and our uh, and, and support to their efforts to wage this war. And notably, there's no reason to believe that once Putin, if he were to conquer Ukraine, mm -hmm. that he would stop there. And importantly, as a member of the NATO alliance, the United States should remember, and certainly every elected official should remember, that the minute they cross into a NATO country, that's the point in time when it is U.S. soldiers who are being asked to, to join that fight. And that is an eventuality that um, we have the ability to never see by making these investments and allowing the Ukrainian people to fight their own war um, and us support them in doing it. And when it comes to funding, this funding bill supports domestic priorities here at home, fighting the opioid crisis, investing uh, in mental health provisions that I put forth that have been included in this legislation, major support uh, to our border security, hiring additional CBP officers, uh, investing in technologies so that we can uh, stop the scourge of fentanyl that's being trafficked by transnational criminal organizations uh, across our border and leading to the deaths of people across our communities. We can do both. We must do both. Uh, and that's the message that I've certainly been delivering to my colleagues. We can walk and chew gum at the same time. You were talking about that 4,000-page omnibus right. bill uh, that uh, I'm sure no one has gotten completely through. Um, but there's also this 800 45-page uh, final report from the, the select committee to investigate January 6th. And I do want to ask you lastly uh, about the conclusion, which is that Donald Trump should never be able to hold public office again. Do you agree? I, I absolutely agree. Uh, it's why I voted to impeach him when he tried to leverage support for Ukraine and military aid to Ukraine, uh, trying to extort a, a political favor from President Zelensky. It's why I voted to impeach him uh, for inciting an insurrection, uh, as, as he did uh, on January 6th. And certainly anyone who would stoke that type of violence lie to the American people over and over um, and bring about the eventuality that we saw on January 6th and has not backed down from those lies and those incitements to violence ever since uh, should not hold public office ever again. All right, Congresswoman Abigail Spanberger, thank you so much. I know that you were uh, put in the position of leadership for the Democrats' battle, battleground uh, leadership, and I uh, congratulate you on that, and also happy holidays to you. Happy holidays. Thank you so much. Sure. Some key inflation data is just coming in. Our Christine Romans has a breakdown for you next.
So we just got some brand new data in from the Fed's favorite inflation measure for the month of November, and it shows prices moderating for consumers. But the person who can explain this better than uh, any of us is our chief business correspondent, Christine Roman. So what are the numbers? Oh, another morning, little piece of evidence that uh, inflation may have peaked. Uh-huh. Prices are moderating for consumers. Prices fell for consumers for gas prices, of course. Food prices were up a little bit. But overall, you're looking at something called the PCE price index, the Fed's favorite inflation gauge grew just 0.1% from October to November. That's fine. Uh, And year over year, up 5.5%. In normal times, that 5.5% would really freak me out, but that's down from 7% just a few months ago. So you've seen it month after month. If you look at a line chart, you can see the signs of how that appears to be peaking. See that? So 5.5%. We want to see this trend continue, of course, but this is just another little piece of evidence to tuck over there in the inflation is peaking argument camp. And uh, I think that's what you'll be seeing people talk about today, economists talk about today, that this looks like the worst of the inflation, the red hot 40 year high inflation appears to be behind us. Looks like. Looks, looks like. like you know, look, yeah. I'm, I don't know what's going to happen next year. I mean, the forecasts are very, very iffy for the whole um, <laughs> next year. But gas prices coming down. Consumer confidence went up this yeah. week. GDP in the third quarter was strong. So you see these pillars of the economy that seem strong heading into the end of the year. And that strength in the economy, you know, spewed all this inflation. Right. And that inflation looks <laughs> right. like it's cooling. So you never know what's going to happen. Merry Thank Christmas. Merry, Merry Christmas. Christmas, you guys. You look gorgeous. I love the color. <laughs> it's a Christmas color. So this morning's number is 79. Harry Enten standing by. You'll want to see this. The icon Dionne Warwick brings her exclusive story to CNN in the new film, Don't Make Me Over, premiering New Year's Day. Dionne Warwick, one of the great female singers of all time. Dion was the first African-American woman to win a Grammy in the pop category. The music I was singing was nothing like anything that any of them were singing. The legacy of my family, music, pure and simple, music. Dionne Warwick, Don't Make Me Over, premieres New Year's Day at 9 on CNN. Auntie Warwick has given us life for so, so long. It's going to be good. Now, Christmas Eve is tomorrow, as you know, and we're taking a look at all your Christmas favorites from movies to music to food. CNN senior data reporter Harry Enten is here with us with all of the numbers this morning. All right, we're going to start with Christmas movies. I know I have my favorite. I'll keep it to myself for now. What did you learn? Okay, this morning's number is... 79. Why? 79% of adults watch Christmas movies to celebrate Christmas, among those who celebrate Christmas, which is the vast majority of folks. But let's dig into the numbers in terms of your favorite Christmas movie. Uh, Okay. It's a Wonderful Life came in at 9%. We have The Grinch at 7%. (laughs) My personal favorite, Home Alone at 6%. And I just wanted to note this because a lot of guys in our crew, <laughs> Die Hard came in at 2%. That, so. That's for you, Jake Tapper, right it, it, there. That's a, yeah. It's not a Christmas movie, well, These Jake. guys, too. It's, no, it's not a Christmas movie. Christ- he said... This is it. Yes, it's it not- is. <laughs> oh, wow. Did you guys hear that? The voice of God. That's, that's Ellie. Our, that is... Yeah. It's a Wonderful Life. And this is all me right here. Yeah. I, I have... A Christmas story. I literally... Oh, my, oh my God. Gosh. Okay, can we roll the tape? I, I, <laughs> I, I literally went there. Look. <laughs> that is in the place where they shot it in Cleveland. 
and I, I could not help no myself. Idea what you don't know what that. Yeah, have I've, you not I've, seen a Christmas? I don't really watch. I will. Fight I like you older over that. traditional movies. Oh. I like the black and white old movies. What? I want to see Scrooge. I want to see It's a Wonderful Life. I want to see Rudolph. I don't want to see this new stuff. I'm giving you straight attitude. If you do not, that is not new. It's from 1983. Sorry, and it's set back in the it's 30s new. or 40s. That was I mean, in no, 1983. I was in high school. It's new. <laughs> we're not getting <laughs> ages here. How about some a favorite non-religious Christmas uh, song? Uh, All I want for Christmas is you, Mariah Carey, four percent. Jingle bells, four percent. <laughs> White Christmas, three percent. Chestnuts roasting on an open fire. The Christmas song at two percent. Mm. But Rudolph the Red Nose. Wait, that All I Want for Christmas? I've never heard that song. Okay, Don, now stop lying. No, I'm just joking. (laughs) I love Mariah Carey. It's just like I love Whitney Houston, but I used to joke with people saying, I will always love you when it come on the radio. It's, I've never heard that song. What is it? Because it's always on always the radio. On. Yeah, it's, it's always. It's number one throughout the He actually the threatened me when he said, you better not say that your favorite is All I Want for Christmas. You I love her. I love it. But I do, just, too. Play it a lot. Do you have a favorite Christmas cookie? All of them, yeah. basically. Hello. That's it. Chocolate chip. <laughs> Chocolate chip. Chocolate chip. I prefer, it. I think I'm going to keep it simple with sugar. Just, and... Yeah. One last little thing for you. Oh, I'm also weird. I also love pound cake. Oh. Not pound cake, fruit cake. Fruit ca- and I love chocolate covered cherries. Wait, pound cake Don't or fruit stop cake? It. No, <laughs> <laughs> I love chocolate covered cherries and fruit cake. Artificial trees are where it's at. Oh. If you have Thank you. Home. I agree. No, I agree with you. No, I used to no, love no. The smell real of a new, of a, of a fresh Then you got to get rid of it. It's way too much. Oh, God. All right. Thank Harry, Harry New Year's promo. You. That's what they're saying. <laughs> Okay, so we're also counting down the days until we ring in the New Year. Anderson and Andy are back with another global celebration. So join them for New Year's Eve live from Times Square starting at 8 p.m. on CNN. And you can join me as well live from New Orleans. Global celebration as it is every year. Can I, can I show up for that? Can yeah. I just show up and just walk in? We got this. Can the yes. bosses here? Yes. Okay. Ahead, CNN's <laughs> coverage of the historic storm continues. CNN reporters and government officials are standing by, ready to give us the lowdown. Yeah, and that's gonna do it for us. So we're wishing you and your family a very happy holiday from our team here at CNN this morning. Thank you for joining us. It was wonderful, thank you. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Now streaming exclusively on Max. A new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking. Call me country. Beyonce and Nashville's renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash call me country. Max subscription required.